Recorded in the darkest dungeons of the basement of Death Studio, Josh, Troy, and Ty present a show dedicated to bringing you, the listener, into the adventure right along with them. Pick up your sword or load your bolt gun, but don't forget your helmet, because it is time for some playin' and slayin'. BOD studio in remote locations around southeastern and almost northern Wisconsin. It is Planet's Land, episode number 52. The Clay Matthews of episodes. Gentlemen, thank you for joining me tonight uh, as we sit down and, and get ready to have uh, a real banger of an episode. Um, on tonight's show, we will have a, uh, uh, we'll try to keep it. Um, keep it within the the frame of brief uh we're in the brevity tonight for the banter talk about what we're playing uh what we've been hobbying and, and purchasing or other things we're reading or watching um and then for the the main segment we have often talked about uh combining forces with our friends over at cubic shenanigans uh dan and brendan and this is the episode where we got the the two of them to sit down and and record with us uh it's it's tough to call it an interview. It was more <laughs> of a uh, free-form kind of discussion around um, AOS, lots of AOS talk, a um, little bit about the tournament scene, and some. Uh, I, I think I was successful in getting them to enter into the realm of speculation, which they seldom do on AOS 3, and then we uh, turn the tables on them for a, a bit of a this or that, uh, a key segment of their show, how they wrap up most of their um most of their content by asking each other some questions so had those guys uh sit down with us recorded it it was it was a lot of fun but that'll be the the main uh portion of of this auditory meal that you're about to sit down and and enjoy and with that meal when you're playing in slant it's important to stay hydrated so what are we drinking tonight troy i'm going to start with you in hopes that it will be something exciting I hope so. Are you hungry, Ty? I'm, you're making a lot of like food references. Oh and, well, I, you know, I figured I'd go with that theme. I'm glad you okay. picked up on that. No, very good. Um, so I, want I this episode to be Chef's Kiss. You know, <laughs> <laughs> he's gonna keep it going. Now we'll see if he can keep it going. All right, I grabbed from the back of the BOD fridge, uh, God Ambergeddon from our friends over at Ale Asylum in Madison, Wisconsin. It's been in there a while, and so it's a nice aged one. I opened the bottle, and I'm like, I can't drink this out of the bottle. It smells too good. I had So I had to go grab a, a glass and pour it nicely into the glass and keep enjoying and sipping it here. So, yeah, awesome. It's kind of their, what is it, their imperial version of their Ambergeddon beer, and uh, it's really good. Nice. That sounds tasty. Bryce, how about you? 
on similar fashion to the last two episodes, I'm on day 20 of my diet slash sobriety challenge, uh, and I've lost 14 pounds, so I'm drinking water again to keep that rolling. Wow. I'm, uh, I'm impressed that you had 14 pounds to lose uh, as a <laughs> relatively in shape and healthy young man. I am uh, largely disappointed by your selection of uh, your pairing water with our podcast. That seems like a, a mistake. We'll have to talk to your in-house uh, Samier. I'm keeping it going, Troy. It's still like a yep, restaurant yep, experience. Yep. Fun dining. <laughs> and uh, Mr. Koopman, what, what will you be having tonight? From lovely Louisville, Kentucky, I am drinking Jefferson's Bourbon. It is a very small batch, and it is delicious. One How cube. small? One cube. How? I don't know. They How? they just they they denote it's a very small batch. It says it on the label. All right, then it's got to be true. I mean, right? They yeah. wouldn't lie. No, no, they wouldn't. Nobody from Kentucky lies. <laughs> <laughs> Anyways, so Ty, uh, well, what do you have? I I have a single malt whiskey from Japan, uh, Hakushu Distillers Reserve. Um, very good. That's Suntory uh, in Japan. It's mm -hmm. a bottle that once a year, usually this might have been the bottle I got back in maybe a year prior. Matt and uh, Elena always managed to to bring me one from either of their travels or whatever and it's uh around christmas time so the the dregs of the bottle are left i'm working on finishing it up with a uh a glass of that tonight so maybe that's why i'm going with the fine dining because i'm you know having a sipping yep. whiskey and enjoying it all right well let's get to the uh the appetizer round and talk a little bit about what we've been playing tonight uh well not tonight we're not playing a game right now of course but uh, recently, and and this is pretty exciting because we actually got together at Troy's. Well, at least Josh and myself and, and Troy uh, the other weekend sat down for a board game night. So we've actually got some hot off the presses uh, updates and news about some games we've been playing together in person, which is pretty exciting. It was good. Yeah, Bryce was there in spirit. Mm-hmm. I should get. Yeah, I had my little Bryce Funko Pop. Doll yeah, I'm just thinking we need some kind of. a... I'm looking. I should make it either a life size cutout of Bryce and put up in the the BOD here, or oh, wow, or what if we just what if we paint a miniature of him and put that? Yeah, we could put him on the shelf over here, and then he'd always be we here. Could, we could 3D print something. Yeah, sorry. 3D print something. That it's kind 3D of 3D print me, Bryce, Bryce like. Me. Oh yeah, we'll work on that. I'll, I'll be the project. <laughs> Let's just one get, piece at a time. We'll use. We'll use Thor from Crisis Protocol, but mm -hmm. we'll put glasses on him. Mm -hmm. There you go. Yeah, we can green green stuff sculpt some glasses for that. That'll work. All right, we got it. And then we'll have him in body and spirit. <laughs> so we started off the, the game night watching, and this is this is great, because we had two games that we hadn't played before uh, that, that I brought along. So we actually channeled um, Rodney into the BOD, and we watched Watch It Played. Uh, for for the first of, of the games um, because it's not a game night if you don't learn from watching Watch It Played uh, with, with Rodney. Um, and then we cracked open uh, Reiner Knizia's My City, 
it is an, an interesting game. It combines kind of aspects of, of a few into a legacy style uh, city building game that focuses on tile placement based on a, a building deck that you draw a card and then everybody has to place that building on their grid. Um, and you're trying to place them in different ways to maximize your scoring by uh, leaving trees open, covering up green space and rocks that are in the in the field of your tiles. Um, and game end uh, scoring is is pretty close, I think, you know, for the most part, as we were figuring it out through a, a handful of games we played. Um, it it was surprisingly easy to pick up. Um, I don't know. I think I was expecting maybe a little more complexity, but it, it still became challenging in the, the choices you have to make and how you're trying to set up your board, because once the tiles are down, <laughs> it's random what's coming next, so you lose that ability to control what you're putting, because it has to connect to an existing tile, and it, it there are other rules it has to follow where you have to avoid on the board, so it, it gets very strategic in trying to place your pieces and successfully score you know, the, the maximum uh, points that you can. Right, and then the the as you talked about a little bit, right? The cool part is the legacy piece of it, right? I think we played three. Did we play three games? Did we stop at three? It was hard to stop at three. Yeah, we, <laughs> yeah. we stopped. We stopped after the third round, the third game round, and uh, opened the envelope for chapter two, which is the churches, which introduces new tiles, new cards, and new rules about the church buildings that get added to the the stack. And that it seemed like the complexity was really going to start to ramp. I mean, even in the two games we did, it started to get a little more. You started to think about it a little bit more, and there was more strategy, and it was easier to screw yourself <laughs> earlier in the game. Yeah. Uh, and some of that, and then as we like as we peaked at the next envelope, I think it was started to kind of like, oh, okay, this is going to get a little more exciting because there's a little. It, it inserts a little bit of randomness and a little more complexity, which is going to make it. Um, even tougher to kind of not get yourself into put yourself into a, a, a whatever a lock. A, uh, I want to say in a hole because it's not a hole because you don't have a hole. That's the problem is I don't have a hole to put my building, <laughs> so I can't place my building. So I, I was just say, and I thought it was smart the way they did it, uh, where you know round one is kind of just the base game, and then they add a little bit more rule for round two, and then they add a little bit more rules for round three, and just add like. I think if they would have just if you would have dove headfirst uh, with with all the rules, I think it might have been a little too analysis paralysis, right? Um, so they're they're kind of layering the rules in as you go in in that legacy format, and um, it, it it's sort of neat because they it, it just yeah it's just like layering it on top of uh, the rules on top of each other, and uh, yeah, you're not like freaked out by oh my gosh, there's so many rules, you're learning them each round, right? So I I thought that was a really smart way to do it. Yeah, it was. Um, it definitely builds, and it, and it appears that it'll only continue to do so uh, if the church's uh, section in Chapter 2 is, yeah. is any different. And I think you play um, 24 games to craft mm -hmm. the board and get everything added in, and then there's a different rule set using everything where you can continue to play with all of the the add-ins and and everything from the uh the eight chapters that you open as you go 
So we'll we'll have to see if we get another game in here soon. What happens to uh, Coopville, Tyopia, and the city of Troy uh, as as we go? <laughs> oh yeah, we had to write on it. That was a little freaky. It is legacy in terms of you do actually write on the board stickers and stickers on, the on board. it. And... Troy, Troy had to cut his stickers so that they didn't cover up the river. Right, because like, if you're gonna, if, you're, if I'm gonna, yeah, if I'm gonna mess up Ty's game, I didn't want to mess it up in an ugly way. I wanted to mess it up in a pretty way. So. Yeah, it was uh, it was fun, and then after that we went and uh, opened up. I bought kind of on a whim after, um, after a discussion I, I think with Bryce about the Marvel United uh, Kickstarter for the X Men that just just wrapped up. I went and bought the base Marvel United game, the the first one. Eric Lang, um, I guess it's you know card card play it's not really like even deck building it's kind of like action sort of, allowance but sort of very um, control ish but yeah you're playing against the the, the the ai so yeah i don't know yeah the the villain deck that drives where the villain goes and the locations that each have um six so six locations and each one has a either a, a like a mini boss a henchman or a different um like situation you have to solve uh and cards are played kind of in a circle around the edge of the board that forms your uh your story so it's kind of that comic book nature of you can use the the card that was played previously and the actions on it and then your own card play and then after so many the villain goes and you're you're trying to manage what the villain is doing and complete these missions but as you complete missions, the game gets a little bit harder, and you're you're going up against multiple loss conditions, and the only way you win as the heroes is to defeat the villain. So we played uh, the recommended villain to start against is Red Skull. So we played against him with um, Captain Marvel, the Incredible Hulk, and I think was it Iron Man, and lost. And then we took. Uh, Black Widow, Captain America, and Ant-Man. And we ended up winning our second game once we kind of learned we didn't want to rush through the first mission yeah. and have him acting every two rounds instead of three. So we kind of slow played and got the missions going. And it was still close. It was tight. Like, it's a it's a tough game. You think of a game with, you know, not, not a ton of options in what you do in it. You're limited to playing one of your three or four cards in hand interesting i worth it i went uh the next day i was at uh games universe picking up uh something else and i saw the um asgard expansion mm -hmm. so thor and uh loki's the villain and um i picked that up because i know this summer we'll be gaming with bryce so he, to get him to play a game, I had to get a hero that i know he likes so i went <laughs> and just bought the the, <laughs> the asgard expansion that's perfect because I got that in the Kickstarter, but it won't be here until late in the fall. So you'll get a you'll get a preview of it, um, and it is cool. All the Kickstarter stuff from the original is is mostly available uh, as separate expansions. So like the Wakanda one has you know the Black Panther, Killmonger, um, Winter Soldier. Then there's a Guardians of the Galaxy one, so there's a bunch. They've expanded the the range where you can add in the the villains and the different heroes and their cards, because all the villain decks and the hero decks are are different. 
And that that's one thing I would add is they all felt really different. Like playing Captain Marvel, um, you get the idea of the ability to attack at range. Ant-Man had a cool mechanic where he could quantum leap so I could take a card that had already been played, swap it and use it again. And then he had an awesome like beatdown attack where he gets big and like punches three or four times. So it, it just somehow, even though the card actions are limited and what you can do it, it felt really thematic and mm -hmm. that each character kind of played like you would imagine them. You know, Black Widow could fight and, and move effectively. Captain America and Iron Man could help the team and assign other actions to other people. Yeah, I, I would agree. That was kind of cool. As yeah, again, as you said, the the gameplay is pretty simple. Yeah, and it and it really told that story, and it and it was fun because it I think because it's the, about the right length too, right? It it kind of has a finite play time, and that you're either going to win or you lose. Um, I think because of the simple gameplay and not a lot of stuff, but it, it could overstay its welcome if it got too long. But I think it's at that right balance where it. it you kind of have a lot of fun. You tell the story, and then boom, you either win or lose, and get to either play again or, or pick up the next game. So, is it kid friendly, like Sarah and Landon, or not quite that young? I I think because it's co op, you could probably and again you can help you could probably help them through a yeah. little bit. Um, because you are it's, we are it, working together. So yeah, it's it's close in that like I don't know if they say twelve and up or if it's it's around that point labeled on the box, but I think, you know, 10 year old, nine year old could, could play with assistance. It would be tough for like, you know, land in the take and play with two of his friends without somebody helping kind of adjudicate yeah. the rules and whatnot. But, um, yeah, it's, 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 uh, you know, the, the entry point is, is not incredibly difficult. There's, it's not reading intensive. It's not, you know, there's a lot of symbols and it's just following sequence and turn order. Um, but it, it also, the cards kind of show what happens, you know, like the villain card shows what happens and gives a sense of the board layout and where tokens are being placed and what, what they do. Um, all movement happens, you know, kind of like clockwise and turn order. So it's, it's intuitive in, in that way as well. And it looks cool. <laughs> What's that style of models that the, like Queeby or something? Maybe I just made that word up, but Queeby or something. Queeby. Yeah. yeah. I like those. Yeah. Which, which is, I remember Troy, when we started, you, you were like, I don't really like these type of models, mm -hmm. but um, it worked. I think yep. they're not. Yeah. Once you kind of get into it, it kind of, and it, I think, yeah, it kind of, with the gameplay, I think it kind of works. And maybe that's it, right? Because it's, um, it is, you know, pretty light, kind of a fun kind of gameplay. And the, the miniatures just kind of play right along with it. All right. What else uh, has been getting played? I know it was those two games. We played My City three times and then Marvel United twice. Both of them played in probably like 30-ish minutes, 30 to 40 mm -hmm. minutes, which was nice. To, to get a game in yeah. quick. Because so you think about we played games. five, yeah, we had two games, but we really played five five rounds of those, <laughs> three yeah. three of one and two of the other through the night, so it's pretty good. We got a lot of gameplay in. So I've had some additional, we still had some online play, uh, kind of the Weiss Brothers board game arena play. Uh, Splendor, which I'm not going to go into because I think most people know Splendor, but Splendor is now available on board game arena i think that is one of the benefits of the asmodee buying of board game arena i think there was always a lot of worry about 
Phasmoday bought it, what was going to happen? Were they going to kick out a lot of the other publishers, games that are on there, anything else like that? So far, they seems like they've pretty much been hands-off. But the good thing, in which they kind of promised, was like, hey, now we can bring more Asmodee games to um, to Board Game Arena. So Splendor's there. So I hadn't played that in a while. It was fun. Um, played a couple rounds of that uh, the other night, and that was great. Uh, we tried out this real, again, Skull, if you've never heard of it, is real, uh, I would say almost a party game. Really lightweight. You just have some discs that are roses and skulls. Each player only has, a, I think it's five or six roses circles, and then there's one skull. And it's a, basically a bluffing game. You basically each take turns, and you play down one of the discs, face down, and and then each each turn around. And then at some point, somebody bids to say how many how many roses they can turn over basically say if i'm going to say two okay i'm going to turn over two two discs of some people and they have to come up roses and and you'd score a point if one of those and you have to start with your own pile that's the kind of the trick (laughs) so you know if you're playing a skull to screw somebody else over then you have to make if you bluff you better hope somebody bluffs higher than you do because if you go you know you're going to lose right away so it adds real simple mechanic and at first we're like this is really simple i don't get it and then all of a sudden you kind of oh i get it like there's this like am i because at some point you need to make you need to bid and be able to score i think that you win if you win get two or three it's only like two or three rounds of having to win um so it, it, it ends up pretty pretty quickly kind of escalating because you're like, I need to make sure I score because if I let Troy kind of take an easy one, like just bid one or two, um, then he's going to win the game. So uh, I had heard good things about it, and it was just, it's also on Board Game Arena, so we're like, oh, let's try it out and, under, and uh, understand it. So uh, I'm intrigued. It is, it is kind of real, super lightweight, but I can see why it's a lot of fun, um, especially for a, kind of a real much uh, either a party game or a filler game. Um, pretty cool. And then we owed uh, Forbidden Island um, some payback. And again, that's Forbidden Island's been around for a while. Co-op game, you kind of have the, the tiles. They sink. You want to save them. You have to get the treasures, get back to the copter, and get off um, for people that aren't familiar with it. Uh, totally co-op. It's hard because it escalates. Can If things go, if the luck goes wrong on you, um, it can go bad. We had played uh, one of the, our previous times and got and got beat and just after a long we're like oh we're gonna make it we're gonna make it and then it at the end it it bit us and we all died this one we're like oh we're gonna do it we're gonna do it we actually ended up like forgetting that oh we needed to have a copter card to get off the island so we all went to the we all went to the um the landing pad and then we're like oh why didn't we win oh we needed a copter card and so we literally had to sit there and hope that and it came up in the next two turns and we got off because we were down to like just one or two tiles left and we had to have things go our way. Um, and we ended up winning, which was amazing. But it was funny because I think if we, because we thought about it, we actually, if we would not have blown our copter card to get to the landing pad, we wouldn't have won. So it's one of those where, you know, if you would have tried to play safe, we would never would have done it by kind of not thinking about it and kind of playing a little bit reckless, we end up getting a little bit lucky and, <laughs> and we pulled it off, but we were happy because we, it, it, we felt like it owed us one because it had, it had bit us the last time we played. So, so that was kind of our adventures on board game arena recently. Nice. I, um, I've just got one other. So Landon and I played a game I picked up at origins a couple of years ago. 
um, called Dicey Peaks. So you're a mountain climber. You're trying to get to the summit before your opponent. Um, and it is a push-your-luck dice game. So you choose... Some of the dice are better for climbing, some are better for resting, and some are in the middle. So you choose a combination of dice and roll. Uh, you have to keep Yeti symbols and other symbols depending on what action you're choosing. And if you get too many, you bust and you don't go anywhere. And as you climb, each space you move up, you have to mark an oxygen off your board. So every so often you have to rest because you can't climb if you don't have oxygen. Um but then a Yeti can attack and lose your turn that way. Um, and you get to the top and there's three summit tiles and you have to choose one at random of those three. And you either see the flag or you have to kind of stay at that spot and then wait and go next turn. So you're managing your oxygen and just trying not to bust on your dice results. So it was, it was fun and simple enough. Landon liked it. Um, he, uh, he won. I picked the wrong summit card when I got there first. And then he picked a different summit card. He had a one and two chance, so he, he got it, and he was pretty happy that he beat me and could make fun of me for choosing the wrong uh, <laughs> the wrong summit tile. Um, but yeah, Dicey Peaks. Was, uh, I think it's a Calliope or whatever that company mm -hmm. is uh, game. All right, let's do a quick hobby section. We're going to skip over Josh because he did not do his hobby homework. <laughs> <laughs> Um, I have been, I assembled the Crimson Court, so the, the Underworlds or Beast Grave, whatever current box that game is, Warhammer Underworlds is in. I got them though, because they're the new vampires and they look really cool. Uh, built those and then started painting five of the Necron Warriors, got the, the medals and the contrast base done. I just got to do the fine details and the weapons. Um, hopefully I can get it done this weekend. Let's stay with my three models or four models painted goal per month. And then bought some other paints and kind of bought basic material for all my Necron jungle bases. I think I talked about that last time. Um, but I've got that all set up and ready. So I'm going to try to get a combat patrol sized Necron force ready so that this summer I can go and try mm -hmm. to kill Troy's Ultramarines um, and turn the tables after Necron's reanimating on me for years and get to see <laughs> if I can do it to him. <laughs> and then I made a huge mini stomp order that I got the shipping notification for. Um, three boxes of the new Blood Knights, three of the new Zombies, and three of the new Skeletons, because I sold my entire Death Army. Uh, everything that I had painted from the last few years to Noble Knight games. So I'm starting over with uh, all new Death for the Soul Blight release uh, that, is, that is out now. So get my book tomorrow, um, and then the other model should be here next week, so I can start kind of re rebuilding and repainting um, all of my no longer legions of Nagash, but the Soul Blight Grave Lords. How about you, Troy? What have you been uh, painting? The only thing I've been painting is, uh, as I talked about last time, the aliens, like the true aliens from the aliens miniature game. And I was playing around. I had some old, not not old. Well, I guess old because I bought it like at the beginning of the pandemic. The color shift paint. From and I can't remember which brand. It's the Vallejo, maybe is it the Vallejo? It may be um, color shift. So I'm like, oh, these might look really cool. And like a color shift, is that just kind of, you know, just trying to find a, a little bit of a quick and easy way to you know do the board game minis and, and do that. Um, so I played with that and I actually hated it. 
Um, <laughs> just <laughs> it doesn't it just didn't give enough. I mean, they're a, li- a little bit too dark. This doesn't give enough, especially because the models are actually pretty pretty detailed. I didn't think it was doing that. Um, so then I did try two other. I went with a uh, kind of tried and true kind of a a white undercoat with um, some contrast paint. I actually kind of like that one. I also then did a metallic with contrast over top. And I think I, I actually kind of think just the, the contrast over a white base kind of, and I think I used Leviathan blue or something like that just over a contrast uh, or over a white um, undercoat. That might be my favorite because it has enough, enough pop to it. Um, I still might go back and like hit it with a dry brush. The metallic with it is kind of cool. I like it because it kind of gives it a little bit of a kind of, alien little bit of a sheen um if i kind of i think i'd still want to go back and maybe hit with a dry brush of something just to make it pop um because you don't get quite as much contrast between the blue and the and the metallic so so that was just kind of my so yeah kind of a color shift fail um uh i mean it's one of those where the idea i think was better in my head than it actually (laughs) came out in but it's kind of like well i bought these damn paints i got to figure out where i'm going to use them for something right but uh, but i think good old contrast might be where i end up so Bryce, how about you? What kind of hobby has been going on? I, I am not sure what I can or can't talk about, so I'll just leave an open-ended, what have you been doing <laughs> well, question. Well, I think last time we recorded, I talked about how I had painted a bunch of Nurgle in a, in a week or two, and uh, Bellacor had just released, and Bellacor is the first hero model in Fantasy or Age of Sigmar that I, that I ever painted. It was like I think maybe the third unit that I had ever painted, and um, so when I saw that was coming, I was really excited, but I didn't get a pre-order in, and I, I guess I was kind of unaware of the current situation uh, that GW is facing with product and availability, and Bellacor was nowhere to be found, so I was in the deepest, darkest corners of the internet about to offer up my firstborn child for Bellacor. And then I got a message from from a friend who said, "Hey, I bought one. It's just gonna sit on my shelf for a while. If you want it, it's yours, and I'll just get one when they're available." And I, I just about passed out in shock and excitement. So I got the Bellacore, and uh, I started uh, base coating it with my airbrush. I had I I wanted to kind of do the exact same paint job as what I had done, and I base coated it, and I got it all shaded and. I hated the way it looked. So I was like, well, I don't know. It doesn't have to be the exact same. And I, there's this style. I don't know what the style is actually called, but I've been calling it hashing um, of painting. And I know a lot of people do it on, um, true, I'm going to need help here, the 40K bugs. Oh, the Tyranids? Yeah. Yeah. Oh, people do it on like the husks of the Tyranid mm-hmm. shells. Um, and just for like kind of that edge highlight. And I, I've always wanted to try that. There's, I, I can't remember the, the lady's name on Twitter that she paints a lot of, um, like neon bright models, and she does hashing for all of it. And I didn't do that exact style with Bellacore, but I, I wanted to do kind of my own take on it. So I started just drawing thousands of little white and blue and gray lines on Bellacore. And I was like, oh, this is kind of cool. And then I put a glaze or two over it and I started drawing more lines. And before I knew it, it was, you know, three in the morning, but it looked really cool. <laughs> and uh, so I committed to it. And, and then I was like, well, if I put this much time into the this, this skin, I might as well put this much time into the, the whole model. And 
I've been keeping it a secret because I didn't want to share it, but my my hope is to have it done Saturday, um, so that Sunday if I can put it on the table for our Escalation League, um, and be pretty proud to have it there because I, you know, you guys and other people talk about me as a painter all the time, and you know, it's, I'm probably my harshest critic, but this is just some of the pictures of this model. When I see it, I'm like, holy crap, that looks so nice. Um, yeah. I gotta ask you one question, Bryce. Yeah. Wings or no wings? Oh, wings are gone. I okay. so Good. I'm going to use the wings for a conversion um, that I'll I'll share. Um, I'm I love Alarial, but I hate the stupid beetle. Mm. So I am going to and continuing to push what I'm able to do. I'm going to try to make her a dragon using Marathi's tail. Um, a body that's still undetermined, Bellicor wings, and I'm going to try to sculpt a forest dragon's head, but not the whole head. I'll use an existing mouth, but then have like wooden antlers and uh, have like leaves, so the wings fading into leaves. I think, um, I can't remember if it was Russ or Rob from uh, uh, overseas. They're very popular hobby guys and podcasters but one of them made one a long long time ago and i've always been super intrigued by it so i want to make my own take on it um and that's where bellicor wings are going to go to because they're way too big like that model is incredible and those yeah. wings just drowned it so it with i saw some someone um i think i i follow a bunch of chinese people who i, I can't read anything they say but the things that they tweet i just <laughs> they're very impressive and someone posted a picture of just the model with just the hand painted without the wings on it and my mind was made at that moment when i saw it it just it looks in my opinion more intimidating and it just lets the model shine for what it is without the wings on it so but his no wings on mine well He's a magical demon. Mm -hmm. He can probably you know, <laughs> Thank wiggle you. his finger, fingers and fly. Thank you. <laughs> yeah. Very cool. Well, I think um, that is a lot you've been hobbying. Um, and uh, we will definitely re retweet and share uh, when when it's out there from or our personal Twitter feed and our show one. <laughs> so <laughs> um, excited to see the finished product there. So last time we we kind of took a, a show off from the hobby accountability challenge, um, and we set kind of a group challenge of have a game night. Well, we talked about it in playing. We had a game night, so we're successful. Bryce, you were there in spirit. Um, but let's actually set some goals to get back on the uh, the summer of of hobby as we head into the summer months here, um, and and talk about what we're gonna do. So I will I will start. Um, I bought, uh, some of the instant colors, the new line of, um, you know, I guess we would call them contrast style, but scale 75 calls it rapid application acrylic paints, specially designed for gamers, the shadow tones and the skin tones. I got my zombie side second edition box and all those zombies. So I'm going to start playing with them. I'd like to have, um, you know, 20 or so zombies done, just kind of a first test run batch uh, for the next time we talk. So my hobby goal is to play around with contrast and these new instant paints 
and get some schemes for the the zombies um, from the second edition Kickstarter. See if I like it, and then decide what I'm going to do. I'm I'm probably I really like doing the heroes in the black and white style, so I'll probably stick with that just to have um, them, you know, pop versus the the zombies that'll be in the the color with the blood effects. And I just I think there's something kind of cool about that Frank Miller esque hero versus um, drab legions of zombies with blood effects. So that is my goal uh, for next time. Um, Troy, how about you? Any, uh, hmm. any hobby goal? I'm, I'm, I'm trying to, I'm uncommitted. You get, I, yeah, I'll, I'll oh, jump. Boy. Go ahead, say, Josh, because I don't Josh. have any. Troy's hemming and hawing yeah. about what he should get for dessert. And yep. Josh is like, I'm hungry. I know what I want. <laughs> I've been staring um, at that cheesecake all night. I've been staring at, uh, a compressor and a airbrush all night. Um, it, I, I, I have all the pieces. I have all the parts. I just need to fire this thing up and I've been intimidated. And I think I've talked about this before and I just haven't, I haven't yet. And so, yeah, I'm making it a goal by next show to at least prime something. Good job, Josh. All right. There you go. Josh's airbrush prime and something. Bryce, how about you? What's your hobby goal for next episode? Uh, so I have I have a AOS three dilemma that I've been facing, and it's deciding between three armies and which one I want to try to get done here for when tournaments start to to get back rolling. So I I painted one test model, uh, and it was a deepkin, and I'd like to paint I'd like to paint two more. One is one is a converted Zinch army, and then my Sylvaneth army as well, and. Uh, once I do that and paint those, I'd like to pick one. And it, so it, it's going to be kind of a, uh, you know, when Troy used to give like six different things and he'd pick one that he was going to do, it's going to be kind of like that because it depends on which army I decide. But if it's Deepkin or Sylvaneth, I want to get a unit painted. And if it's the Zinch, I want to get the unit converted because it's a lot more work. <laughs> the Sylvaneth's already done and converted, so that would just be painting. But if it's Zinch, it involves a lot of green stuff so right maybe troy's had enough time looking at the the case up front with all the pies and cakes to <laughs> to make a selection uh no but i just been looking around the dod for um and i'm i'm exactly it's funny how bryce described exactly what i'm gonna do um <laughs> so on uh, people can't see me on video but if uh, over my left shoulder the aliens that I talked about are actually sitting on my hobby desk waiting to me to finish them. That's one possibility, but I'm a little worried because I'm not sure that I'm really going to play that game and that, so that won't motivate me to finish that. I do want to play some Warhammer underworlds and I do have a bunch of, so I might do a squad of them, but I already have a couple painted squads. So that's probably not going to motivate me either, but maybe, um, I might do, I keep saying I'm going to play some D&D with Sarah, and so I want to maybe paint some monsters for that. So if we actually do that, that might get me motivated to paint that um, or some other random miniature. So there, out of the or, I may actually work on doing some kind of a gaming video there. Out of those five things, something okay. might happen. All right. 
we have our goals or a range of possible goals <laughs> and we will check in with them next time i'm going to need troy to put his in a spreadsheet though so i can i can track progress on any of those items let's talk about kickstarter so um i haven't really backed anything personally um i don't know if any of you guys yes, you have. have oh yeah uh redgrass games uh the wet palette 2.0 um i backed the new the new one it's a little bit bigger um it's got the uh I don't even know what to call it, a washable membrane for paint uh, versus yeah. having to put the paper on all the time. You just put it right on the membrane and then like the foam and and then you can wash it off with warm water. So being, it, I've seen videos of people that got like review copies and it, it looks pretty cool. Um, looks like a, a pretty low effort cleanup and you don't have to worry about that paper curling up on you. And they also they also slightly modified some things because so I I obviously Ty and I both have it and I maybe Josh does too I'm not sure but one of the problems that I run into with it is I often oversaturate my paints and it's completely yep. unintentional and like sometimes I just put a drop on without even putting any thinner in it and it's already too thin so they made I I don't some kind of scientific adjustments obviously to to help uh combat that and i watched a couple reviews and people actively using it and they said that that's completely gone um and that someone someone put paint on it and didn't put the cover on and then the paint stayed workable for like four days straight whoa so it's truly the greatest the first one the one that i have now is the greatest thing that i've ever bought for the hobby and to anyone listening whether you get it through the kickstarter or just find one somewhere i used to do the sponge in a container and put some wax paper over it and use that as my wet palette and that was fine but this just is a complete complete game changer if you do any experimenting with mixing paint or trying to blend uh, it just it just takes it to a whole nother level because you can stop in the middle. You can work for hours without it ever drying out. Winter, summer, spring, fall, it doesn't matter. And it's it's truly just an incredible product. And I, I think there's a lot of people that try to like say that uh, using a wet palette is like unnecessary and like, oh, wet palette users shame people that paint from the pots mm-hmm. or use a, a plate or a piece of tile, whatever. Like... Not not at all. The the wet palette really just it makes it easier to paint and it makes the paint smoother and you don't have to worry about getting an awkward like brush full of water to add to your you know, your paint out of the pot. Like it just there's no shame in painting right out of the, the paint pot. I did it for years. But once I started using a wet palette, like it just became that much easier to paint. Paint applies smoother. It stays you don't have to go back and get more constantly mm-hmm. you just put your couple drops there and you're you're good to go for that paint session and the next one and the next one to bryce's point <laughs> and you don't waste paint like when you paint on a on a dry palette it, your paint dries like yep. if you put two drops you use one and a half and the rest is dry on a wet palette that doesn't happen so and eventually you peel off a quarter inch of dried paint mm-hmm. to yeah, start fresh. That, that is kind of fun though. I do I do yeah. like using my yeah. plastic wet or dry, plastic dry palette and peeling it all off. Yeah, cuz I mean I I do go back and forth a little bit cuz I have a wet palette and I used that for quite a while and then I don't know, I was just do, I felt like I was just doing quick and dirty stuff and I didn't even want to drag it out again. I hadn't used it in a while and so I was just 
I had a piece of plexiglass that I was using as my thing. And you do, I think once you do it, you do notice that like, Hey, I put the, you know, the paint on here and I'm like, Oh yeah, it's already kind of dry or I need to work it or you like it. And then you go back to the wet palette. You're like, Oh, it's just kind of, <laughs> it's so nice. Like the paint is still there and it's ready to go. But, um, I think until you kind of do both, you don't quite realize how much having using that dry palette, you're not that you're losing anything, but it just creates a little bit more level of difficulty and, and, uh, makes things not as easy, but it is fun peeling all the dry paint off of it at some <laughs> point that I, I will admit for that. So. All right, Troy. Uh, so Bryce and I have backed the, the Redgrass games wet palette. What have you been doing on Kickstarter? Um, so I haven't, um, we're, we don't talk about 3d printing, so I might've got some STL stuff. Um, but besides that, more of what arrived was, um, I think I had put it on our Discord, uh, like, I don't know what it was, like the last decade ago, sometime in 2018 or something else like that, um, I backed the Hagglethorn Hollow um, resin buildings, all these fantasy buildings that were done by uh, Johnny, the guy down from Weta uh, what a workshop down in New Zealand. Um, you know, they're the, the big, um, fantasy sci-fi, right. They did a lot of special effects for Lord of the Rings back in the day. I think they've done a couple other game. you know, some games that come out of the studio. This was kind of a pet project from one of their designers down there who incredible sculptor. Um, and it was just really like, Hey, I wanted to make all these, these kind of cool fantasy, um, you know, fantasy type buildings and, and, uh, and put them out. And so again, it, because it was kind of his hobby, like I think, you know, being a designer at what is his actually real job. Um, it took him, And again, there was a pandemic in the middle of it and everything else. It was like whatever, two plus years to get these things, but, uh, they finally showed up. So I have a whole pretty much a, I don't know, small table worth of pretty cool little resin buildings. Um, I think they, they, they'd be fun for again, like a D and D campaign a couple of years ago, I think I had shared they actually did them like did like a zombie side uh, Black Plague game in it. I still may try and, and 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 do that. It looks like that would be kind of fun. They're a little the scale is a little small for like an AOS um, game. Not saying you could throw them on the table um, just as kind of terrain, um, but if you look a little close, they're just not. You know, they're really kind of true 25, 28 millimeter, not more of the heroic stuff that you see with uh, with Games Workshop. So. Um, I got the pre-painted stuff, which I'm glad because I never would get around to to painting them, and and they're good enough. And um, from a, a a paint scheme perspective, so and there were some I was reading some reviews on there, and there were some people who were way too picky on. I'm like, this is mass a mass produced uh, resin model pre-paint. Like, I don't know what kind of level of uh, the, the detail is pretty is pretty cool, is amazing, and stuff like that. So. I would give it pretty much a thumbs up. Um, the only thing, yeah, again, waiting for two years for, for something that wasn't, again, not super inexpensive either. I mean, they, um, they you know, they they are kind of high quality custom model, custom resin models. So um, they did cost a little bit. So waiting that long, I could see where some people would be like, whatever. But uh, again, I'm happy. There, I'll, I'll find some. Now I just have to find some shelf space for them to actually uh, end up. I'm looking over here because over my my right shoulder over here right now, but. Uh, so pretty cool, and hopefully I'll figure out a way to get them on the table and, and actually play with them. Sarah and I put them out, and we uh, we took out some zombicide miniatures and played a little make believe with them. So that's again, <laughs> <laughs> but uh, so nice. so pretty cool, and they're different. Like they have a dungeon, like you can break them down. Like 
I think the big the big ones are like four different levels and there's internal rooms and things like that. So definitely something like a D&D campaign or anything else, they're definitely going to be useful in, in things like that. Very cool. How about any other uh, hobby-related um, or gaming-related purchases or, or pickups before we do a real quick library uh, segment? I'll rapid-fire mine. I've been playing a, a new game on Steam called Dorf Romantic or Dorf Romantique. I don't exactly know. It's a, a, It means something agriculture or farming or town village. I have no clue making it up, but it's a tile placement computer game that really just plays like a, a board game. Very idyllic, nice music, cool kind of colorful art um, and you're just trying to place biomes next to one another to score points to expand your token collection and add more tokens to keep playing and then seeing what your high score so it's single player kind of town building puzzle type game uh, highly addictive time just flies like you're trying to, to place the tiles and um, you don't have to actively focus on it you can play a little bit walk away play a little bit more think it would make an incredible board game <laughs> from a solo play standpoint i don't know how you could multiplayer it but uh very cool ten dollars on steam it's in early access um then i picked up van richten's guide the ravenloft which talks about kind of expanding those domains those kind of that gothic core of of dnd it adds some vampire creatures some other stuff and talks about running that style of game um, there's a couple of character class options, a few, um, few new items and things in it. So a pretty cool source book. I don't think it's as strong as Tasha's, um, the Tasha's cauldron of everything, but it's, it's a very good source book, especially if you're into Ravenloft and that kind of suspense and horror style, uh, play of, of D and D. Um, and then I also picked up two new games that can be played together from Osprey, they're deck building card games where each of your empires is totally asymmetric in how it wins called Imperium Classics and Imperium Legends. One has some different civilizations like King Arthur's Court, um, the Atlanteans, you know, some more mystical um, and mythic civilizations. And then the other has more historical like the Romans, um, uh, one of the Chinese dynasties. But um, you can mix and match and play um between them and it, it's kind of a empire building card game where you're managing different tracks in your empire and developing cards um trying to you know grow your empire in a specific way that may be different than uh the others so like arthur's king arthur the arthurians are trying to complete quests and they don't even develop and build they just complete quests through their play whereas the romans are trying to conquer uh, and settle lands and expand their empire. So different win conditions, different ways to get there. Um, I'd always heard of a card game called Glory to Rome that uh, is supposed to be just incredibly good, but it's incredibly hard to find. It was one of those limited release, and now you just can't find it anywhere unless you're paying like $500, $600. Um, and it, it feels kind of like that, and you're building your empire, developing cards, um, but Osprey has done some really great stuff. So sight unseen, not having demoed it, I just picked it up um, and pretty excited to play it. The the card art looks really cool. Um, the rules seem really um, really enjoyable. I think it'll you know turns are limited, so you're not waiting for your opponent to take like a thirty minute turn like some Civ games that you play. 
turns can take a very long time. This being card based and deck based, um, just seems like it'll play a lot quicker, but still have that that weight and complexity to how you're choosing to to win. And then the asymmetric play style is something I think is just awesome, and you don't often see that in a deck builder mm-hmm. where each player is trying to do their own unique way of approaching the game. So those were a few things that I picked up and and excited to be playing or try out soon. Sound pretty cool. Um, I'll just touch on uh, Warhammer Underworlds Online. So I think people are familiar with Warhammer Underworlds, the board game from GW and miniature game. Uh, I've been trying to get back into that. I keep threatening. I think Dan and I keep threatening to maybe try and get together and play. Um, a couple months ago, White Dwarf actually sent out, gave you a free code for the online version of the game uh, through Steam. And I finally got around to grabbing that and playing a few rounds, which was fun to remind me how to <laughs> what the rules were because it had been probably a year or so, if not more, since I played some of that. And uh, again, it's I think you get the basic game and a few squads in there. And then, of course, there's DLC to buy the additional, additional uh, war bands. Um, for that game. So it, that's out there just if people are interested. Uh, and then I would be remiss. I don't think we've talked about it on here uh, and it could be hobby, but I won't, I won't claim it as my hobby because uh, uh, our friend Josh from Arizona uh, had finished painting a while ago before Adepticon 2020. So sometime in 2019, I had reached out to Josh to say, hey, I have this idea for uh, a Terminator squad for the Space Hulk game. Do you, would you be interested in in uh in kind of commission painting it for me um he was pretty sure he didn't have time to do it but he said i'll try um good news is then we had this is the good news about the pandemic good news is we had a pandemic to give him more time (laughs) (laughs) and uh and he got him back he actually got back to me a a while ago and uh, i just had been holding on and i'm like i need to do a really cool photo shoot so uh, earlier this month i finally did a, a really a bunch of pictures for him they're they're amazing flesh tears um he just didn't ama- with the extra time he had he just did an amazing job and uh i can't wait to actually get these get these on the the table and uh and have people kind of play with them um cuz uh, he just did an amazing job of them so uh so thank you Josh um and looking forward to showing them off to even more people i will add they they look incredible and i, I think Josh you know for for reasons ha- does not have a social media uh presence but if if he did I think he would become one of those guys with just tons of followers because his his painting style and his output is is really really good, um, and he he brings kind of a unique style that it, you know it's not the classic Space Marine edge highlight and and wash. I mean it's it's just he's picking out details and doing fantastic work. So, um, you know, I, I wish I wish he was Twitter famous, but <laughs> obviously. We might have to create a uh, a dummy account and just say our friend Josh's <laughs> hobby work. <laughs> um, well, let's let's real quick just do a BOD library and not even talk in depth about it, but just kind of what we're watching or, or reading. So, Josh, I'll start with you. Any any new uh, viewing, listening? Yeah, I haven't been uh, reading or listening to anything lately. Um, but Handmaid's Tale is back uh, with the new season been diving into that and then uh a little series that i i hadn't really ever watched before but they also have a new series new season uh love death and robots mm-hmm. or love death plus robots i don't know which, which whichever um 
really cool. Like, it's just a little short, like, 20-minute uh, segments that are all very interesting. So, um, it, worth a watch. It's not kid-friendly, but... <laughs> Uh, I was just gonna. I was gonna say that I I haven't watched it there, but I've heard. Yeah, I've heard it's cool, but I've also heard. Yeah, mature MC seventeen or whatever. Absolutely. Yeah. Uh, Yeah. Definitely. Definitely worth checking out on Netflix. Right. How about you, uh, uh, Bryce? Anything? Get in. uh... Uh, Yeah. So I, out of out of love and respect to you guys, I finished Name of the Wind. Um, (laughs) I I think I shared it in Discord, but I. I was very frustrated by the end because it hooked me into wanting to know what happens next. So I looked at the next book and it was 44 hours long. And I said, I don't know if I can do this to myself again because, and I don't mean to offend you guys because I know how much you like it, but I just was so bored listening to it. It felt like there was way too much detail on things that I didn't want to know and not enough on things I wanted to know. Um, but I, I am hooked into the story and wanting to know what happens next. So I might just like find some spark notes or something. <laughs> um, and put then it, put it on while you paint. The second book is more action and excitement. Okay. Okay. Maybe, but I, I had to, um, in an uplifting kind of funny when I say what book it is, man, or uh, jump back into the Sandman slim series. <laughs> um, so I, I started book five, uh, and I'm almost done with it. Actually. I, I, started it last week um and then there's two other things jupiter's legacy josh mentioned it i think last week or last episode uh, i finished that it's one of those shows that's really good and then you get to the end and you're so so mad that you don't know how many episodes there were because there's only eight and it mm. it ends in a way where you're like you gotta be kidding me uh, another year until i can see where this goes um so i'll probably find uh those graphic novels and and just read them instead and then last but not least, and this is very relevant to, to you, Ty, with what you mentioned about um, you're wanting to pump out some zombies fast. I, I oftentimes check out different YouTube channels of painters. Um, obviously, everyone knows my, my love and admiration for Vince and uh, hobby cheating. But I, I stumbled upon someone when I was looking um, at speed painting videos. And uh, it, the channel name is Marco for Sony. N-J-M. And uh, he's super, super talented. And he does all sorts of speed painting videos with all sorts of models and styles and different uh, lighting sources in your speed painting and different just things that I've never thought of and never tried. And, And he's super detailed on explaining how to do it, but it's not painfully long in the video aspect. He speeds up all the painting and talks over it. So it's not, you know, watching him paint for four hours and him explaining it. The videos are 20, 30 minutes long. And he, he like, paints the whole Cursed City box in a day. And it looks absolutely incredible that it was painted in, like, four hours. Um, So I highly, highly, highly recommend that you check it out. I got lost one one Saturday night. (laughs) I think I watched, like, 15, 16 of his videos. But um, super, super cool guy and, and super worth looking at. Nice. Troy, how about you? So I am, I finished uh, Project Hail Mary, which is our latest book club book. Really loved it. I think I crushed that in like five days, which is pretty fast for me to listen to a book that was listening to it. So um, running through that, can't. We'll, we'll have our discussion with that 
in the next week or two here, probably, if we, depending on where other people are. Uh, kind of reading Mortis, which is book, is it book five in the uh, the Heresy uh, Siege of Terra? And that's, and I'm also kind of reading a few of your, I think one of your recommendations, Ty, I'm trying to, I'll, I'm going to hold my comments on it though until I get a little deeper to see if I, uh, uh, where, what I'm thinking of it. So which one, which one's that? Uh, the, the life of what's her name? Adily, Addie, the so. invisible life of Addie LaRue. Yep. Okay. All right. Just, uh, it, it felt like a little bit of a palate cleanser from a lot of the other stuff I was doing. So cool. Glad, glad you're reading it. Um, and I'll try not to be disappointed if you don't like it. <laughs> um, yeah, so I've I've been listening to Project Hail Mary. What I think is cool, so Landon has been doing a lot of inquiry projects for school research, looking up stuff. He's been focusing a lot on like science, like nuclear energy and like um, physics and Einstein, different different science related things. So he came with me to Noble Night, which is about an hour and a half drive each way. And I said, hey, do you want to listen to music or listen to this book? It's about space and he goes oh i'll listen to the book and you know there's maybe just a couple swear words interspersed at yeah. different points but it's it's relatively like pg pg 13 mm-hmm. um and he loved it like he's listening he's like this is one of the best books i've listened to and i was like all right so now he's, <laughs> he's asking at different times to listen to it but um he's you know he's enjoying the story um and and that was pretty cool so i'm i think i've got about four hours left on the audible uh book mm-hmm. Um, and then I'm reading the Malazan um, books of Book of the Fallen, the 10 book, A Tale of the Malazan, Book of the Fallen, 10 book Stephen Erickson series. I talked about coming back to it after a long time. And I just want to say I got a really cool email from uh, Josh Arden. He is uh, a listener. I think he's in the in the Midwest. Um, Bryce, I'm pretty sure he was at the last... Um, Holy Wars event yep. uh, before yep. the pandemic, and you might have might have met him there. Um, but he talked kind of about the series and his enjoyment of it, and it, it was really cool. Um, I need to I need to as I finish the books, kind of send him notes of what I thought because um, you know he he shared a similar uh, sentiment about it. You're thrown into the middle of these books, and it's this huge complex world with all these crazy stuff going on. And you get zero exposition. You just have to pick it up as you go. Um, so I started the second one called The Dead House Gates, uh, which zooms across the world to a different city, a different set of characters from the first book. And it's like, where are we going? What's happening? Why am I in, in this like desert now? Where, where did the other characters go? And you're trying to get your ground at the beginning of each novel and try to figure out what's what and who's who. Um, so a really cool email from Josh. Um, appreciate that. Wanted to mention that on, on this episode. Uh, and then I've been watching some stuff. So Mayor of Easttown, it's a murder mystery show on HBO with Kate Winslet and Evan Peters, seven episodes. Um, they do a really good job of, of kind of changing focus of who committed these crimes. Are they connected? What's happening? Um, and who's involved? And then Kate Winslet's own kind of personal life is a is a mess. She's a de- police detective in a, a smaller town outside of Philly, um, you know, divorced and uh, interesting show. Then also, you guys talked about Jupiter's Legacy. I'm about halfway through that. I think I'm on episode four. Um, enjoying it. Pretty cool take on superheroes and how they relate to to people. 
And then I watched Zack Snyder's Army of the Dead on Netflix. I was not expecting a, um, you know, incredible film, uh, but I got a really good, fun zombie heist movie, and I was happy I watched it. There's some cool action sequences, some fun zombie parts, some, you know, good one-liners. Um, but, you know, a summer popcorn and and zombies with a, a really cool concept that I, I think I want to... I want to play with the idea in like zombie side because you know they they try to break into a vault and get out with the cash no spoilers and, <laughs> well i won't but it's this like you know vegas has fallen and they try to get in and out with with the money and and see what happens and i think it's a cool idea to play with from a scenario standpoint for zombie side or outbreak undead even um so that's that was a lot of fun all right. Any uh, any other library? Uh, I did. I did watch Mortal Kombat, and I was eh on it. I was okay. Oh um, man, I loved it. Uh, it I don't. There. I need to go back and watch the original. I just. I. I like their take on it. There was nothing wrong with it, but it. I didn't. I mean, the fact that they kind of took a super serious take on it, like to me, didn't quite land a hundred percent. Halo wasn't very serious, Troy. Yeah, well, kind of. Guys... They never, they didn't quite laugh at themselves like the first movie, like the original movie does, and like the game does a little bit. So, but like I said, I didn't know. think it was bad. I enjoyed it, but it, and I wasn't expecting, I mean, fine art, high art either. But, <laughs> well, did you guys know that Mortal Kombat's based on Scandinavian music? I did not know that. Yeah, it's it's about a Finnish hymn. Oh God! <laughs> uh, and that's the episode, guys. Uh, it's been fun. Tip your Thanks waiter. For listening. Yeah. Sorry, Dan and Brendan. We're gonna cut your segment out. <laughs> we're gonna take a break and we'll come back. We're gonna talk to Dan and Brendan from the Cubic Shenanigans podcast. Um, and after that, we'll be back for a brief wrap up and uh, show show close. So enjoy the conversation with Dan and Brendan. And I make no apologies for that joke. And welcome back from the break, and we are joined by two very special and important people, VIP special guests, Dan and Brendan from the Cubic Shenanigans podcast. We have long talked about combining forces i know uh myself and troy have guested on your guys show so it's so good to to have you in remote studio with us so dan and brendan welcome to the show you guys just i'm just thrilled to be here um i really appreciate you asking me and i know it'll be a great time so yeah thanks for having us it's uh only taken like 75 episodes or so <laughs> and uh for us to be on and we were just short on a Koopman. That's that's right. I think there had been discussion about what, what would happen first, getting you guys here or Josh being on your show. Um, so now we'll, we'll have to find a, uh, a, a Koopman focused episode for you guys. We'll, we'll work on content for you. <laughs> yeah. It's, it's going to be a tough specific one because it's uh, a narrow window. It's a narrow window. Yeah, it's it's 3D printing and making like really mediocre jokes. I don't know. 
Hey, Josh is well known as the funniest character on the Plain and Slam podcast. True. That's true. Mm -hmm. Yeah. All right. I'm the best at the the mediocre jokes. He is the best of the mediocre comedy. That is true. But let us. Like flipping photos of my (laughs) armies that I post on Discord. How dare you? (laughs) Oh, man. I'm going to have to rein this in constantly, aren't I? Yep. All right. So before we get too hot and heavy into, you know, the usual content of, of gaming and painting and all that, let's talk about the really important stuff. Because when you're playing and slaying, it's important to stay hydrated. And I'm going to expect that everyone has a drink, but I'm going to start with the man who I know uh, shares an interest in the finer finer beverages in life. Dan, what is in yes. the glass tonight? Well, the top choice between uh, a Belvini that Brendan bought me, which was great, and a Talisker. But I am very partial to uh, Western Scot- Scotland Scotch, especially because it's got a real peaty taste to it. So I chose the Talisker, and I'm going to sip it instead of taking shots of it like I do at tournaments. So um, I should be relatively um, intact by the end of the show. Every uh, every five or ten minutes, we'll just have a, a chime, and that'll be your cue to commence sipping. Yeah. <laughs> Please don't do that. <laughs> and Brendan, how about you? Uh, I normally don't drink on weeknights, but just for you guys, I have mm-hmm. a, a brandy old fashioned that I'll be uh, drinking here this evening. Oh, nice. See, we bring out the best in people. <laughs> <laughs> All right. So I think where we should really go is the origin story. Now, we often will talk about... Um, an individual's gaming story, if you listen to any of our past uh, guests. But we're also going to delve into the Cubic Shenanigans origin story. But first, let's get to know Dan and Brendan here. So when we talk gaming origin stories, you know, sometimes that adventure begins with Games Workshop, Warhammer. Sometimes it begins with Magic the Gathering or role-playing games. But I'm really interested to kind of hear how you guys got into in gaming in general um, and and also the hobby. So I'm gonna I'm gonna start with Brendan um, and kind of let's get your uh, your street cred established here from an origin story before we get into the uh, the true gaming discussion tonight. Uh, yeah. So I guess my Warhammer street cred. I have been playing some version of Warhammer uh, since I was ten years old. My uh, my friend, my best friend at the time, uh, Cody. He had been purchased some miniatures by his mother to to paint specifically. And then uh, he found out that there were rules to the this model game that uh, he had. And he we were hanging out one day and we tried playing and I was like, this is really cool. And so for a couple years, I proxy played out different like legos and connects as a 40k orc army and i think it was seventh or eighth grade where i was actually purchased some models and that's that's what it's been it's been all downhill since and i have been playing in some capacity or another uh, since since then 
And really, it was once I got out of college and started working a real job, I just been fully invested in in painting and playing and hobbying and traveling and just hanging out with a bunch of cool people. So it's uh yeah. So you went you went right in the miniature gaming. Oh there yeah. Wasn't, there wasn't that foray into like board games or cards. It was just right to the the plastic crack. Yeah, I'm like we like me and my brothers and stuff, like we collected Pokemon cards, but like we didn't play we didn't play magic. Um, like we had board games, but they were just like your regular kind of board games. You know, there wasn't anything real special about it. It was just, it's basically been Warhammer or nothing from, from the start. All right. So I, but so. I think we should make Brendan like give us a little bit of a time frame <laughs> because <laughs> this could have been, this could have been like last week for all we know. Right. I don't know. Like. <laughs> And and I'm giving you a hard time because Brendan is a little bit younger than than me, maybe just a little bit, but than everybody. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I think uh, youngest on the show, possibly even youngest guest. We'll have to check some uh, mm. some birth dates to. Yeah, we confirm, might have to pull IDs but, uh, on a few people. Yep. Yeah. <laughs> I'll work that out. Yeah. So I mean, I'm I'm 29 right now. So it's I've been doing this for just about 20 ish years pretty awesome all right now dan who is our second youngest guest (laughs) ever on the show let's hear your gaming origin story dan oh my god so um back in the 1960s when america was still um a colony of england I uh, was living on Midway Island because my dad was stationed there in the military. And I met uh, a guy named John Henry, who it turns out all these years later is a New York Times bestselling author. He writes under the name of Jack Campbell, and he has written the Lost Fleet series, which you guys might be interested in if you've never read. But at the time, John and I were quite young, and John found these books. Um called Tractics, and there are three of them. And I would call this really kind of the grandfather of Flames of War. Uh, We had, you know, plastic tanks that were maybe two or three inches long and little plastic soldiers about three quarters of an inch high, soft plastic. And we were playing these historical kind of thing. It was all based on World War II. And so that kind of, that was the first time I really played with someone else and play a game, something organized with rules and stuff. You had ranges and all these other kind of things. Um, and then John and I both ended up moving back to California because our dads moved back there. And uh, weird thing with John and I, it's like this weird life bond because we met on Midway. We ended up going to the Naval Academy together. Years later, we ended up on the same ship, which in a 600-ship Navy, imagine the odds of that. Oh, wow. Um, but we went to the Naval Academy, and the next kind of uh, thing before that was there was a company called Avalon Hill uh, way back when, of course. And it was the first uh, historical, like, military gaming company. It was all hex boards, you know. And uh, so John and I, he lived in San Diego, and I lived up north of L.A. We actually played these games by mail. <laughs> we would <laughs> write our rules and 
uh, write our moves and the hexes and the coordinates and stuff. And it was just hilarious now that I look back at it. But at the time, it worked and kind of funny. But that was my board gaming first experience was uh, an Avalon Hill uh, military game. And then I got to the Naval Academy, and we were pretty restricted to where we could go and what we could do. But I remember about halfway through my freshman year, John got a hold of me. And he said, Dan, you got to come over to my room. I got these books. And I'm like, what are they? He goes, you have to see. And he pulled out this little box with these three books with just this <laughs> really hellacious art. It was Flying Buffalo. It was the first, like, I think it was Flying Buffalo, the first three little handwritten D&D &D books, you know? And it was like, wow, this is fabulous. And, you know, he had come up with some little dungeons we walked through and all the rules in there, and we're like, oh my, crazy. This is like in the, what, mid to late 70s? Mm -hmm. um, and so that was my introduction to D&D, &D, and I love that. And I played for a few years after that until I got a serious girlfriend, and then, you know, that, that kind of stuff just went away. <laughs> um, but um, once I was in the service and I was deployed overseas and things, you know, the gaming thing kind of went away because you're very focused on what you're doing for a living. And, uh, fast forward to the mid nineties and I saw this box in a store. It said space Hulk on it. It was like, what, what's that? It looked kind of interesting. So I picked it up, but the plastic models didn't do much for me, but the story of the Deathwing just blew me away. And this is the original Deathwing guys when they were based very much on a native American culture uh and when the death wing had gone back to their home planet and been taken over by gene stealers and they were writing about how that gene stealer thing worked and i was just hooked that was done and then in 2001 i bought and built and played my first space marines army it was the space wolf army uh so that was 2001 and for 20 years i've been playing 40k off and on much more back then than i do now uh, but I was telling Brendan also, I actually have all four of the Space Wolves codexes, including the 30 or 40 page one that I had back 20 years ago. I still have that on my shelf. So it's really kind of cool. Um, so that's my miniatures and gaming career, you know, in terms of board games, which you guys love. Uh, I, you know, kind of work that in as time permits or based on where I was or what I was doing. Uh, so there are a couple that I have that are really favorites, but, uh, the next, I guess, iteration was in 2017, I think when Heath was still the, our friend Heath was the manager over the GW store and we were talking about stuff and he kind of showed me Sigmar and I'm like, well, that's kind of interesting. And of course I was reading all the old world stuff, not the mortal realm stuff. And I thought, well, I started a lizard army. So I started the Seraphon army and it wasn't real big or anything, but I played some games with Heath and at a couple of events I went to, nothing competitive. Uh, but so I kind of was made aware of that and then connected to the podcast. You know, once I met Brendan and he was part of the show, well, Bruce City, it's history. You know, I played my first competitive events and since then I've really been into Sigmar and, and really loving that. So that's kind of my origin story, guys, up to where we are today. Very cool. And, um, and, and, you know, what, what I think is something you may not have mentioned and, um, 
is D Company. Uh, do you still do anything with them? No, I know they're well, kind of a local. That's an interesting thing. I'm going to uh, make an announcement here. Brendan has already had his anaphylactic reaction to this comment, uh, <laughs> <laughs> to this, this news. Uh, but yes, I'm very connected to D Company. In fact, when you mentioned that, uh, there was a group of people when I started playing 40K at a place called Napoleon's over on the east side. And a guy named Fritz owned it. And we would, every Tuesday night, there would be several of us, I would say a dozen or more, down there playing in the basement of his store. And uh, that group, once the store closed, became D Company, which, by the way, stands for Drunk Company. You guys would appreciate that. <laughs> uh, because if there's anybody who drinks even close to as much as you, you do, it's these guys at D Company. Yeah, um, yeah, I've seen those guys at RockCon back in the day. And uh, yeah, it was, it was brutal. Uh, but they've evolved as an organization because everybody grew up. They have. But my announcement with all this is after 20 years is I have decided to no longer participate in the game of 40K. Uh, oh, like completely. Yeah. In fact, this past two weeks, I sold all of my Space Marines on eBay. Uh, everything is gone 40K wise. The only thing I have is some models to play Speed Freaks with that specialty game. And I also have two knights that I have in a small plastic bin. Uh, but that is it in terms wow. of my 40. I have no other 40 K stuff around anywhere. Uh, and it's, it's all gone. And I just decided for a lot of different reasons, uh, that, uh, time wise and other things that I need to focus on my Sigmar stuff. And, um, I'm still going to read the lore. Troy, you can relax now. It's okay. <laughs> I'm still going to follow all the books and the history and everything else. Uh, we're still going to talk about it on the show. I mean, if there's a codex that comes out, we'll talk about that. And um, but you know, I just haven't participated in the in the hobby or in the game. And there are just so many other things that we all do with our lives that you kind of have to make choices sometimes. So um, yeah, so that's kind of where I am, everybody. All right. And then how about cubic shenanigans? So around around when did you guys start? I know you guys are in the I think the seventies for episodes, but yeah. let, plug uh, plug the show. Tell us, yeah. you know, if, if so, there's anyone that listens to us that doesn't already listen to you, <laughs> tell tell us about cubic shenanigans. So in twenty seventeen six of those people. <laughs> yeah. In twenty seventeen was actually a couple years before I ended up retiring, but I just I had a blog already called Shadow of Prometheus, and I was writing on a lot of 40K stuff. Um, I ended up being a writer for Bell of Lost Souls for a while, uh, an editorial writer for them. And I just thought, you know, I want to be able to communicate with the community in a, in a different way. And so I, you know, struggled through all the technology stuff and figured out how to actually start a podcast and where to host it and all those things. And so that was in July of 2017. And at the time, uh, Theo Atwell, who you guys probably know around the store and other places is a 40K guy who I knew from D Company, uh, was uh, willing to be my co-host at the time. We were obviously focused on 40K. We were doing some D Company things. And uh, Theo just had life get in the way about, I don't know, about eight months later. It was early spring, late winter of 2018. And he needed to move on. And that was fun. And... In episode eight, uh, I had met this uh, really 
I guess I would consider him an individual of ill repute in the Sigmar community, but I felt that he would be really, really valuable uh, to bring on the show. So, so in uh, episode eight in March of 2018, Brenda became the new co-host, and here we are, almost 70 episodes later, and we're still kicking it. So, five daytime uh, Emmys. Ah, two Wisconsin Podcast Network Awards and at least three NPR style episodes for Brendan. Here we are. We've got the origin stories established. We have uh, an an understanding of timeline. Let's talk recent gaming. What have you guys been been playing? I know, uh, you know, there's some new books out. There's some uh, some gaming going on on YouTube. I saw Brendan the other day playing a battle Mm -hmm. report. But uh, what else have you guys been getting into? What kind of games have you been playing? Brendan, you want to go? Or... Yeah, sure. I mean, I I probably do the lion's share of the gaming, uh, <laughs> being that character of ill repute. But so I did a <laughs> I did a battle report with the Pants Mafia crew, and that's on their YouTube channel. Pants Mafia AOS, where I played the new Soulblight Gravelords book versus a Coalesce Seraphon list that had roughly 160 wounds in it and a, a zillion million source warriors. And, you know, the Soulblight Gravelords uh, predecessor, Legions of Nagash, was where I really started to kind of cut my teeth on the competitive scene. So it was it was really nice to kind of fall back in love with an army after being away from it for an extended period of time, you know, trying to chase trophies and and that kind of stuff. Uh, the weekend before, I had played a one day event in West Bend, and for those of you in our group here who are looking to you know get back on that training montage, they host AOS events every other month. And the list I brought this time was for my Knights of the Empty Throne, which is a special sub-faction of the Slaves to Darkness list, where you make Varengard heroes, and subsequently they can be your general, which is pretty slick. Uh, You basically spend all of the rest of your 2,000-point army either protecting them or making them better, and they spend the whole game removing as many models as is realistically Ugh. possible over the course of the two and a half hour game. So oh. ugly. All right. Yeah. And where, where in West Bend is, is that for the, the somewhat local crowd with their AOS one dares? Yeah. So not to be confused with noble Knights, it is hobby nights in West Bend. Hobby night in West Bend. Cool. Might have to, once I get the army uh, assembled, Give that a shot to try to get some reps in. Absolutely, yes. And uh, how about you, Dan? Playing any games? I played at Ben's Nodepticon event back in April, and that was great to be able to break out my night on. Got some good games in. And uh, just the last game I played against Alex for the Pants Mafia was just such a wonderful game. I talked about it on our show, but... I just felt like I finally understood, not that I haven't, but just using my rules to a really optimum level and doing everything I could do, playing the, you know, playing the objectives, uh, just really felt good about my night on after so long, playing them for a while. 
And then the Bellacore book came out and I got some really cool new tools, uh, including a couple of sub factions. And I'm really anxious to give those a try uh, before we have the event Circle City down in Indianapolis in about seven weeks, I think, Brendan, right? I think it's mid-July. And Yeah, yeah, like July 17th and 18th, something like yeah. that. So I'm hoping to be able to use, we, we joked about there's, there's a battalion with a lender in it. And Brendan, I know is so tired always that I complain about the fact that Vitamon's <laughs> heroes are it's so easy to kill. They're so <laughs> soft, you know. And uh, this battalion basically gives her up to like 30 ablated wounds is what it does. Oh, wow. And, and then if you combine that with a sub-faction, she can get like a bazillion more. She can get like 10 or 20 more ablative wounds. And it's like, okay, well, I can't, I, I have to stop now. I can't say anything because if I play that, uh, it, it just, it's really great to have some other tools in that book and seeing how they work and stuff. So I, you know, play some batting OS and hopefully Brendan and I are going to get three or four games in before the event. Uh, other than that, uh, game wise, I'm, and have always been a lot into either RTSs or um, turn-based strategy. And uh, I've been playing Civ Six for a long time. Okay, that's a good one. I love it. Uh, I've been playing uh, Beyond Earth, which is another Sid Meier game, which I love. It's from a science fiction standpoint. It's just amazing. Uh, and I really recommend it highly to anybody who's into such that kind of a game. Uh, and then once in a while, I just get an itch to play StarCraft II. Uh, I, I was very fortunate that I was uh, kind of a pseudo playtester for Wings of Liberty, which was the first event. Uh, they had, it was really cool how Blizzard had these little groups of people who would, they would send footage out or they'd send gameplay stuff out. And we would have almost like Zoom, Skype kind of things. And we would all talk about different things that we saw. We'd give feedback. They'd make changes. They'd send us something else. And that was really cool, uh, that whole process to be involved in it. Not so much playing the game, but a lot of the cinematics and stuff. And so I have a real soft spot for StarCraft II as well. And once in a while, I'll jump on that and um, play a, a scenario or two that are my favorites. But for some nostalgia that's kind of night gaming uh yeah that's that's kind of it for me i got a couple of games you guys would love to know uh galaxy truckers mm -hmm. uh, oh which yeah is one of my two or three favorite games uh, i got a few games in with a couple of friends we we just met over at um there's a bar on south in south milwaukee and they had room at a table and it doesn't take much room so he was like yeah bring it along and we just had a great time playing that and just being stupid and watching our ships blow up <laughs> so nice. yeah that's that's been my recent gaming guys cool very cool uh brendan i i have a an insider tip that you've also been doing some some role playing um and that yeah. you uh you have a series of actions that are exciting like thrilling can you describe what you've been getting into on the role-playing front a little bit yes yeah, so my present character in our uh rhyme of the frost maiden campaign is a rogue right rogues are very exciting they're normally very uh in the thick of things mobile i'm playing 
Yes. Oh, yes. I said normally. Uh, and and this was definitely one of my concerns when we first started playing D&D, that I wouldn't be able to control the min-maxing monster that I am. And I think I've done a good job of making sure that like when I do, it's at least fun and cool. Loctar. And um, <laughs> we're playing that new, like, soul soul stealer dead dread warden rogue or whatever out of uh the cauldron yeah tasha's cauldron of everything yeah yeah unfortunately there's a level three ability that you get where you can spend a bonus action to uh at the cost of all of your movement gain advantage on your ranged attack uh so most of my uh participating in this current campaign is bonus action stand still and then I roll a short bow attack at advantage. And that is basically all my character does. I just love the, well, I stand still, and then I shoot. Yeah. Right. <laughs> Bonus action, stand still. The best awesome. part is Brendan. Brendan's pretty well known for falling asleep in our uh, weekly <laughs> campaign. And it's super easy to fill in for him when he does fall asleep, because all we have to do is stand still and shoot. <laughs> I I definitely design all of my characters with that concern in mind. <laughs> they can be autopiloted fairly fairly easily. Yeah, yeah, you will never see me like uh as long as like we play in the evenings on weeknights drop into a character that requires like all sorts of different like meta currency like managements or anything like that. Like oh god, what spell does he have? No, no, no. As long as we're playing weeknights, I am always going to be playing a character that Worst case scenario, somebody else in the party can go like, yeah, I, I think I've got a grasp of what this character does. Uh, sure. Excellent. Well, if we if we did not take the opportunity when you guys are on to talk a little bit about uh, Age of Sigmar and events, I, I think that would be doing a disservice to, um, to the episode. So I, I think we'll probably give you guys a brief chance to talk about what's on the hobby desk. Uh, but then, so you can start kind of formulating your thoughts, let's talk about some of the, the events that hopefully we can get back into the swing of. Um, so from, from here, and now we've talked about gaming, we'll follow suit and talk a little bit about hobby. Um, so Dan, I'll start with you. Uh, sure. anything been on the, the paint desk recently or kind mm -hmm. of projects you're queuing up? Well, as soon as the the book dropped, uh, I was able to add a unit, the Cruciator, which is a new hero for Nighthaunt. And I built and painted and based two of those. So they are now in my uh, box with the rest of my army ready to go. And they basically, their, their main thing is they have the possibility of making my after saves five up instead of six up. So it's pretty powerful for my Nighthaunt. Uh, and then, so I got those two done and then I've done this weird, uh, conversion to one of my black coaches where I ordered a couple of things that look very much like Morngulls and I replaced the ponies on the black coach with them. And that's been really interesting to try to get it all to work out. I think it turned out. Okay. Uh, I think the paint job looks good. They look pretty ghosty. Uh, and I was just telling everyone on Sunday that. The main issue is you take four little plastic ponies and replace them with two lumps of resin and put them at the front of a model. It creates some center of mass issues uh, <laughs> that I've had to literally 
on the harness that goes out, I literally had to put some air around it to reinforce it. So it didn't like snap off. <laughs> and I had to do other stuff to support uh, these two giant ghosts that are pulling the coach now. But it, it was interesting and it's the kind of challenge I haven't had really to think about before. So that was kind of neat. And then uh, the other uh, revised Battle Scroll updated for uh, War Scroll was the Dripblade Heritage, those stupid things that look like ghost Hormigons with those dumb, you know, like arms or whatever. Yeah. I hate those things. So what I did was I took some uh, inspiration from my friend Nick McKenna, who has basically turned his gits into a bunch of fine diners. He put a bunch of uh, forks and knives and spoons on his gits. Um, <laughs> And so I basically replaced those weird talons on the heritons with hacksaws that I found uh, on Etsy. And so <laughs> they all have bone saws now instead of. I was going to ask where, where you found those. Cause I, I saw yeah. your pictures and, and that was pretty cool. And I was like that, I wonder what, where you can find the, the miniature like bone saws. <laughs> turns out they were charms for a charm bracelet. <laughs> oh, oh, that's so much worse. <laughs> and so I cut off the handle and then used what was left, and it was pretty cool. Uh, oh, that's uh, awesome. Yeah, so um, doing that, and then, uh, you know, one of the projects I really haven't talked about on the show is that, oh, and I have some uh, Miramore Banshees that I need to get done. Uh, but I have to get my Night Haunt display board done now. And that's once I get the models painted in the next couple of weeks, I'm really going to have to focus on that. And I got some cool ideas, but um, that's the big thing I need to finish before my first tournament. And as we resume back in July, you know, so um, that's kind of what my hobby is right now. What's going on on my table. Very cool. Now, uh, Brendan, I know if we, if we talk about just pure, like, quantity of hobby over the last calendar year i i i would be hard pressed to find anyone in the in the country perhaps world that has kept up with your pace but what uh what have you been painting building uh recently what's on the the bench as far as projects for you yeah so as of late i'm i'm really motivated to get my uh slaves to darkness stuff that i've purchased finished and and just round out that army and collection so that I can move on to the next thing. Uh, I basically purchased one of everything for mm. soul blight grave Lords. Uh, cause I, I don't need, you know, more skeletons and zombies really, unless like there's a specific list zombie wise, uh, that I need to kit out for. So it was just one of all, one of every hero type. Uh, I think I got two bats. Uh, I, I, I'm going to have right now 15 blood knights, but, there's some lists that I've been seeing that I really like that hang out with about 20 of them. A Ooh, okay. Yeah. Yeah, there's a, you know, Ty, you and me, we're going to talk. Uh, you know, there's there's some stuff that uh a little bit spicy. I think uh I think that's floating around there. I and, like spice. Uh, <laughs> spicy blood. Spicy blood indeed. And I want to kind of Use that to clear uh, clear the deck because last year in 2020, I just used the opportunity to 
you know, try and get 20,000 points of death painted so that Bryce and I could have our cage match of 20,000 points aside. You know, one of us is held up on this end of the bargain and one of us is not. We're not going to name names. Um, but I finished my Flesh Eater courts. I painted basically an entire Night Haunt mm-hmm. army. I painted all of my Bone Reapers. But I still have some Legions and Gash stuff that has gone unpainted, which is now Soul Blight Gravelords. So I'm going to use this kind of new influx of models to use as a uh, kind of a momentum tipper and get that stuff cleaned out as well. And uh, for the new Soul Blight stuff, are you going to continue your uh, red and copper, the the Brendan Melnick paint scheme? I think you've patented that in that yeah. of yours. <laughs> red and copper belongs to me. And I, I've seen a lot of people painting all of their Crimson Court stuff uh red and copper yeah and i'm simultaneously really thrilled to see it and also furious it's, <laughs> i'm sure there's like a german word for it that that like encapsulates that uh combination of feelings into one thing but yeah i intend to keep the red and copper going i have so much uh death stuff already done that it would just be crazy to try and do a different scheme out of uh, out of that particular subset of models. Well, yeah, when you have that 25,000 point game, you'd have 2,000 of it that doesn't look cohesive with the rest. I, I get it. That makes sense. Yeah. Hey, well, I just want to say, I, I knew this book was coming, so I wanted to be fair to you and not finish before it came. So you're welcome. <laughs> oh, that's, oh, so that's what that was, huh? <laughs> always the gentleman, Bryce. Always the gentleman. Yeah, and, I'm just here to make people happy. And Brendan, your painting's always been pretty good, uh, but over the like the last I don't know six months, you know, or uh, yeah, six months or a year or whatever, your your volume has gone crazy up, and your I think your skill level has gone up quite a bit too. It's 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 really I I think you're you're doing awesome work. So for what that's worth, congrats. Yeah, thanks. Man. I appreciate that. Thanks. I mean, it's with with some of these different things where they have been these different focuses i've been trying to uh do something different right even even when it is the red and copper scheme like with my bone reapers i wanted to try and carry through a relatively high standard throughout now you know none of my stuff is is bryce's level uh except for when i like really really try on like one specific model like then i can kind of achieve something that Bryce might churn out uh, over the course of a very average effort. <laughs> uh, but I'm really thrilled with my Bone Reapers, right? You know, because it, it is army, like, as in, it's like 3,000, 6,000, a zillion thousand points worth of models. Um, definitely some of my nicer stuff. And then, like, when I did that Caradron Overlord start collecting box back in... January, February, I don't know. I wanted to really push painting some different colors that aren't red and copper. I wanted to try using different paints with my Slaves to Darkness stuff. I really wanted to push and see what I could do with contrast paints. And and so I've kind of adjusted from just painting to play stuff for tournaments into uh, painting to to get something out of it from a, from a results standpoint. Yeah, and it shows. I mean, I your Slave to Darkness too, like the your latest ones, uh, that like the scheme looks great, and then the bases look really awesome, and they kind of, they go together so well. Like I, I don't know, I think it's really cool. 
Thank you. That that I don't I don't know what do you call what do you call your bases like kind of that. It, yeah, it's an ice base. It's yeah. Uh, like I'm embarrassed at how simple it is because when and I didn't come up with it. It was you know it was posted on Twitter by uh, Ben Johnson, who is the games designer for Age of Sigmar, and he had seen it on a GW Berlin page, I think. And when he posted like the scheme and how it got done, I looked at it and I was like, Oh my God, I can do that because <laughs> like, like basing is definitely the part of the hobby that I'm most intimidated by. And just the effort versus effects kind of combination. I was like, I was like, okay, this is something that I can be comfortable with to trying to get a, a really nice result that I'm, I'm not necessarily known for in in my hobbying stuff. Very cool. And we do all this hobby so that we can play games and our models can look awesome, but we also do this painting for events. Now, um, I know that 2020 was kind of a strange uh, a strange year uh, for reasons that we won't we won't dwell on. But 21 looks to be picking up steam to a return to. Um, gatherings and playing in tournaments now one of those one of those is local that we've all talked about uh and and attended and played in which um or you know uh ran a charity um raffle for or ran the tournament but brew city uh brew city brawl um what what is the plan for this year for that, Brendan? Any any news or any updates, or are we still kind of holding to see what it'll look like? Yeah, so the concrete portion of it is the dates are set. It's September 10th through 12th of 2021. And I know at minimum, I'm going to be able to have 24 people playing games in that room. I really don't have a lot of clarity as to how many I can have right COVID uh, mm-hmm. in the city of Milwaukee, well, and Milwaukee County, which is where the venue is located. Uh, June 1st, restrictions are being lifted. So I need to see what that means from the hotel's perspective. And, you know, we'll kind of we'll kind of go from there. Like I, I will run the event for, you know, 24 people. I will run the event for as many people as is, you know, reasonable and safe in that particular environment. Uh, the intention, knowing that AOS 3.0 is coming out, is that whatever the equivalent of a big game in 3.0 is, that will be the the points uh, set up for 3.0. So, Bruce City Brawl 3.1 was, or 3.0 was going to be 2,500 points. So, 3.1 will be whatever is 2,500 points equivalent in this new edition of Age of Sigmar. You guys heard it here first. It's Age of Sigmar Apocalypse. Um, every game <laughs> takes 10 hours. Uh, it's going to be a week-long event. Very excited for that. Uh, you know, there's probably a subset of people that would be absolutely <laughs> thrilled to... Like, if I put that out there, I bet that I could probably get a a full haul for the whole week playing Apocalypse-style games. Because uh, for some reason or another, there is a... There's a specific kind of person that really super enjoys the circus that I run at Brew City Brawl. 
where we try and capture the uh, the feeling of basement hammer with just a bunch of your friends. I, I would agree that that is a a very apt uh, description is basement hammer with your friends because those have been some of the the best times in that. Uh, I mean, you know that I remember um, <laughs> in that in that hall with uh, with all of you guys. Um, so Dan, I know yes, that sir. you, you are a tournament, uh, player and I want to kind of spin the tables. I, I know what Brendan does at Bruce city, but why is Bruce city kind of an event that embodies what, what you like about the tournament experience? And then as a follow-up to that is, is there any influence? Do you ever prod Brendan with like ideas or concepts? Is there any like you know, behind the, the wizard's curtain, uh, manipulation of, of Brendan, the TO going on. I want to, I want to get the inside story here on the cubic shenanigans dynamic. Well, okay. So let's start with that. I, I guess ethically Ty, I would feel really awkward doing that because then I would feel in some way I would have an advantage over other people. And I know that sounds like, Oh, really Dan, please. But no, I, I just feel like, other than, hey, if you thought about doing this or thought about doing that in terms of terrain or, you know, some format issues, other than that, I'm like, you know, I, I don't feel comfortable like, hey, if you thought about these battle plans or something, it's like, oops, I didn't say that. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> and then I can practice those for the next four months, right? Uh, exactly. So I don't, know, I don't know that there's a whole lot of that that goes on. And I think we're both pretty much in tune when it comes to that kind of thing. Um, I always offer help, you know, whatever you need to get set up or anything else, let me know those kind of things. But I don't know that there is really as fun and conspiratorial as that sounds. I don't think that there's a whole lot of that that does go on uh, between us just for the reasons mentioned. So you you are a far nobler man than me. Um, I, you know, if if I knew somebody that was the the organizer and I did a, a podcast with them and competed in in there, tournament i would constantly be asking for any insight especially around list submission yeah, of uh, course. and and writing of the pack you know i'd be like what is not being said here that you mean by this um yeah you, you're that's better exactly why i've recruited ty as a to assistant for ragnarok oh there you go <laughs> right, perfect he can he can be the machiavelli behind the scenes during his Doing his thing. That's awesome. Uh, I'll be in so charge like, of the uh, the narrative wing of the Ragnarok <laughs> event. <laughs> so, I guess Bruce City. To get back to your the first part of your question, it was my first organized event, and uh, I came up with this totally stupid soup list of destruction, and it was just idiotic. I mean, when I look back, but I had fun. I had a good time. You know, I won a game at a tournament. <laughs> And I mean, I think for me, that's one of the reasons is because it, you know, talk about origins earlier, that was the, the beginning of my tournament journey. And so I kind of have a, a soft spot for that particular event. Um, in terms of, you know, tournament play or whatever, I, I just have a different, I, I think we all play for different reasons. Uh, and for me, it's because of the people. I think that's what draws me 
in that first event, just the way people interacted and knowing people at the tournament and hanging out afterwards and seeing Ty show up at like, you know, 10 minutes before the first game, um, carrying on the shoulders of two other people was really cool because I knew Ty, you know, so that was really fun. And uh, did I just say that? I think I did. Okay. Anyway. Uh, it's all good. <laughs> anyway. Uh, it was just wonderful to see people and be with people and roll dice against folks. And, you know, the next year was same thing. You know, I mean, Troy, I think you and I, the second second one, we, we played a game at the yep. end of the, yep. the event. And that was just great. Uh, and then it kind of set the stage for everything else that we've done. You know, as Brent and I have talked sometimes on the show that the highlight in a lot of cases is that lunch on Saturday or Sunday when you just sit down with your friends and talk about what, what happened that morning or the afternoon before and just hanging out with people. Um, it's just amazing. Uh, yeah. And, and, and if I don't win three games, you know, at first, the first couple of times I was just like, well, this is crap. I'm not going to do this anymore. And then I thought, but you had a great time, you idiot. What does it matter that you only won a game or two? And so that's really it for me. Of course, I'm going to go in and I'm going to play as hard as I can. And um, that's fine. Um, but honestly, I'm never going to select an army that's going to chase the meta. I, I just know I'm never going to do that. Uh, and no matter how hard Brandon tries to get me to do that, uh, I, <laughs> I just won't do that because i mean i have a certain thing that i like to play and i want to play it in a certain way and certainly i'll have people help me tweak my list so that i can get better and be more efficient but um i, I just go to, to roll dice with people and have a great time and win when i can play hard every game and shake hands and yeah so that's kind of my thing with with all that very cool um from Bruce City, uh, my next kind of series of questions, and, and Brendan, you you can certainly say, Ty, there's no update, I know nothing, uh, or you can give us the info, but uh, rumor has it that there's a fair bit of planning and organization that goes into the Age of Sigmar uh, events at Adepticon. Do you have any insight at all into what is around the corner? I know it's it's about a year out, uh, 2022, but hopefully a, a return to the the big event down in Illinois. Any uh, any news or interesting tidbits uh, from Adepticon land, Brendan? Uh, I mean, there's not too, too much that I can really report on, not because that it's all a big secret or anything like that. We're, we're being told to plan that it's going to occur, and you know we're being told to plan for the same space, and... You know, my intention from there is to still run uh, on the championship side, whatever the equivalent of a 2000 point game is, you know, kind of straight up. I really don't have any intention of turning it into, you know, Bruce City Brawl at Adepticon or anything like that. I, I think most people go to Adepticon for the gaming experience because they kind of just want to play games of Warhammer and... I feel that the bigger the event is, the more vanilla you probably want to uh, you want to make it from a from a singles perspective. So, do you foresee 
you know, let's, let's say that attendance restrictions are not a thing, you know, let's say we're back to true normal. Do you think that that'll be the first like really big tournament or huge turnout, um, you know, wall to wall, like the, the hurrah we're back? Man, I hope so. It's it's going to be that or LVO, right? Because yeah. LVO is just the couple of months beforehand. And Las Vegas in general is a little bit more of an uh, open environment than Chicago <laughs> is ever going to be. <laughs> yeah. My, my problem with LVO and now the location of some of these new GW tournaments is if I go to Vegas, there's no way I make it to the table for round one or round four. Maybe rounds two and three or five, but one and four, highly unlikely I make it to the table for my game. <laughs> Same with New Orleans, likely Austin <laughs> and Sixth Street. Orlando, yeah. I'm probably getting trapped Ooh. at Disney World the night before. See, that's the that's the real trick with Orlando is you, you know, Landon and uh and your wife go down and you know, you never have to really worry about the expense part of it because the the Disney side of it is going to be more expensive than any of your gaming activities are going to be. And you go, right. you guys go, y'all have fun. I'm going to be over here, you know, doing dad stuff. Yeah. I'll and, see you on uh, the monorail on the way back to the hotel later. Exactly. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. See, cause I, I understand your concern with new Orleans and for, for guys like you and Bryce, that definitely enjoy the nightlife more than I do. Uh, I, I can see where one and one and four would be problematic. Yeah. Would I, I mean I would need round one to start at noon. If I want to have a legitimate <laughs> chance of being there, it needs to be a noon start time. Hi, what if I'll we see. just what if yeah. we got stand ins? We get game game one and game four stand ins that show up for us and then we play the other rounds. Oh, interesting. Oh, I could I could see this like tag team Warhammer. Ooh. Yeah. Yeah. You know, I don't think there's anything so in the tired. rules. Yeah, there's nothing in the rules that precludes that, to my knowledge. Exactly. I, I, I mean, I'd even get a cardboard cutout for a person to stand behind, <laughs> so it's like they're playing me. We could start a service. <laughs> That's a million dollar idea. Your tournament, tournament subs. Yeah. yeah. All right. Oh, there's gonna be. I feel like there's gonna be fine print start to show up in packs once that <laughs> no, <laughs> that so starts to become a if thing. If anyone's gonna write a specific rule to prevent me from having fun in some way, it's gonna be Brendan. We'll call it we'll call a it rule made it into service. the pack that there couldn't be live turtles. <laughs> as as I tell everyone that asked me that question, there was a reasonable, credible threat that was made in regards to the uh, bringing of a turtle to the events, and I simply could not permit uh, any any vagaries in that specific set of rules to permit such an event occurring. Um, it's smart. But I, like, I'm not kidding. I just had this conversation a week ago with somebody about the idea of hiring what is effectively like a war council for a tournament where they would pay the entry fee and then they would hire players to play their game, play players, right? So you would contract out just several people to, you know, be your war council and, and make tactical decisions. And then you would also hire like a tire Bryce kind of character to schmooze the opponent during the course of the game. Uh, <laughs> 
<laughs> and all you do is just kind of sit there and let it all play out in front of you. It's it's Warhammer as a service. Yeah. This, this sounds good. I, I like this approach. I mean, I remember NashCon, I had my coaches, so we'd look at the battle plan and Bryce, and at one point Jacob Barry, I think Tom, there were multiple people giving me advice as I... At, you know, at breakfast, we were using sausages mm-hmm. and pancakes to draw out the battle plan. And then my burger got in front of my fries after lunch, and I was that's when I lost my <laughs> one mistake. game. Because I put the burger in front of the fries. I remember it clearly. I was getting coached up every round. Uh, and that's the only way I can go 4-1 in, in, in a tournament. Is if and you I finished have... second. <laughs> I, I did somehow. Some, some stroke of pure chaos. I landed up in, uh, in second. Hey, man, I'd rather be lucky than good. (laughs) Speaking of better lucky than good, rumor has it uh, that there's a new edition of Age of Sigmar coming. And it's more than rumor. I mean, it's confirmed. Ty, can I ask ask one question before we leave tournaments? Just since I have Brendan and Dan here, and and you guys can say, oh, we just talked about that in our next episode, so don't. You can defer my question. But with we talked a little bit about the new us you know games workshop gt's series coming do you Mm -hmm. think that'll have any effect on kind of the again like the adepticon tournament or some of the you know we've kind of had our own independent circuit of of tournaments do you think gw kind of getting back into the game in the u.s is going to have any kind of impact or is it i guess either positive or negatively i I think it'll only be positive the the events that already exist that are kind of the the larger ones, right? So the the con style larger ones, uh, LVO, Nova, and Adepticon are landmark events for more than just the tournaments. People go to those for all sorts of reasons. Uh, these are just exclusively Games Workshop 40k and Age of Sigmar tournaments. Those those are kind of standalone things where some people are going to go to them exclusively because Games Workshop's name is attached to it. But you can also go to an event that that's large by going to, you know, Midwest Meltdown if you want a just Age of Sigmar tournament. Uh, and as events have popped up and all grown, it, it only helps each other, right? If we think about what the first year of Brew City was where, like, we just barely got to 30 players. And, you know, the first years that we went to NashCon where, you know, they were at 40, something like that. Both of those events sell out in moments, mm-hmm. right? This, and, and nothing has really changed other than the community and the culture has, you know, built around it. And people hear, you know, good things about the competitive space of uh, the game of Age of Sigmar and that, these are things that are friendly to, to new players or casual players or people who are, you know, looking to just hang out and throw dice with their friends as well as the competitive persons and painters and sportsmen. You know, it's I, I only see it as a good thing as long as those events are well run and meet the uh, quality expectations that uh, the kind of privately run events have uh have picked up it, my thought on this is i i find the choices of these three tournaments in terms of location to be very interesting um when you think about the what we've been through um 
you you've picked Texas and Louisiana and Florida for your first three big events like this. I wonder, just the thought, I just wonder if, you know, going forward, if that's going to determine, be a determinant of some of the locations of things, you know, kind of weird how it ended up being those three. Um, but I don't know. Yeah, it'll be interesting to see in terms of overall, the more people you get to the table rolling dice, the better. I mean, you know, to kind of second Brendan's thought on is it good or bad, it's it can only be good to have more people playing the game and getting together and experiencing what a, a tournament's about, I think. No, it sounds good. Yeah, and my, my, my thought is just that uh, the locations were picked because that's where the GW staff wanted to go on vacation. So they're like, they're like we're going to the cool, yeah, touristy, sure. warm places in the U.S. That we're- <laughs> yeah, sure, sure. We're never going to get a tournament in Appleton, Wisconsin, is what you're trying to tell Tell us, Troy. Yeah, it's beautiful in the summer. Appleton. <laughs> yeah, we we just have to sell it to the. They don't need. They don't need in England. Do you think they even know where Appleton is? See, that's no. the, like. Yeah. <laughs> yes, it's somewhere in the middle of this country. They just we they point to the middle of the map. They probably think say, it's in Michigan or Minnesota. That's what. <laughs> talking about how it was an interesting choice for November to be in Texas, you know, because I had shared a story where. I was down in Dallas and it was like 102 degrees at midnight mm-hmm. during the summer. Mm-hmm. And it was like, no, I don't want to ever have to do anything in this part of the country again in the summer. So I, <laughs> I kind of wonder um, about that anyway. You wonder if the paint will melt off the, uh, <laughs> the model. 100 degrees, yeah. <laughs> Hey, Brendan, uh, I have a question. Uh, Dan okay. s- kind of spoke about Brew City being an event to him that that started it all and holds a special spot for him. Is there is there an event that kind of holds that place for you? And there's, this is something that I think like we've, we've all kind of talked about sitting around reminiscing. Uh, and there's, there's maybe a couple that I, I hold particularly fondly. Um, you know, Midwest Meltdown being one of them as the, that the more I think about that Midwest Meltdown one, how formative that event was to the, you know, to the current game culture that we have right now, the, the, a lot of the club heads were at that event. A lot of the, you know, kind of the, the long-term mainstays were, you know, people that were playing there, people we still see, people I still talk to. And that was so formative to, you know, what it is that we do now. Uh, and the other one, I think, is uh, is NashCon. And it's just the strangest thing in the world to me that, like, our two communities, the, the Nashville and, you know, Wisconsin at large communities, have this... Uh, like really beyond explaining love affair with one another. And it, it shouldn't be, right? You know, we are nine to 11 hours away from, from each other and our plane rides are like very inconvenient distances and, and just all that stuff. But I, I feel like I can't 
I can't go to any like one day or up here in Wisconsin about people talking about how they're going to Nashville. And obviously we have all of our Nashville friends that, you know, want to make pilgrimages up to up to Bruce City and and PACA and well, the event formerly known as PACA, now known as Ragnarok, which was unfortunately not named BryceCon. And <laughs> and I I don't know. I, I really like it because David runs that event in a way that I I really enjoy, right? It's it's kind of basement hammer, it's creative, it's putting points together in a way that are totally unique that no one else does and and I really enjoy that kind of stuff. Yeah, and uh Nashcon, I know we we talk about a lot. Still trying to get Troy and Josh down there. Um Stu actually challenged uh all of us to make it down there. So if 2021 doesn't happen, Troy and Josh are contractually obligated by um, Stu's 50th episode commitments to to be down there in 2022. So, yep, I'll have my people talk to his people. Not contractually <laughs> obligated. the The ink is already dry. The deal is done. Uh, we can argue about the the people talking to the people at another point, Josh, but it's done. Speaking of it's done, I think this is a good time to move into our uh, AOS evolution. Uh, pretty brief. I know there's not a lot of info out there, so some of this will be wild speculation, which I love to get into, but I know you and Dan often limit your wild speculation. Uh, but I'm going to force you to go out on the speculative limb a little bit here and talk about AOS 3.0. So we've gotten... A little taste, a little, you know, a little bit of what's coming, but not a lot of concrete information. So these questions are obviously going to be founded in tons of research that each of you had had a chance to do. Um, yes. And completely factual. So I hope you're ready. Put on your seatbelts. But is AOS 3.0 a good jumping in point for a hobbyist? Is this a good time to get into the game? And, and why would it be or why would it not be? Edition changes are always a good uh, time to get into the game in in particular around edition changes you're not dealing with the uh, large amount of kind of existing add-ons that were made as the game developed in a specific edition set right because like if you take a moment and think about what the game looked like at age of stigmar 2.0 where everything got a really hard points reset the summoning mechanic was reset. The only army that fought in kind of a weird out-of-phase condition was Deepkin. And it just kind of was what it was. There was, a, there was a moment in time, this is what the rules are, here's how it works, and, and that's it. The further into an addition you get, the more difficult it becomes as a jumping-in point because you have... It's not exactly rules bloat, but you have all of these different uh, kind of expansions that were added on where the designers are trying to play with different mechanics in and around uh, certain ideas that they work with for a period of time, and then they do something else, and then they try something else. But when you get over to an addition change, it codifies all of that, and it kind of irons out any of the wrinkles that those interactions might have had because they've had more time to uh, to deal with it and deal around it. Mm. Yeah, I think that it's a really good time for the reason that if you get into the game in a new edition, if you don't have baggage that you're bringing 
with you in terms of, you know, if, if you've been playing a while and third edition comes out, there are people who are going to say, oh, well, I don't like that change because in second edition it was like this, or this is what happened to my army, or, you know, you have all that kind of stuff that people think about comparing the new edition to the old edition instead of just playing the game. Because whether you like it or not, this is the rules. <laughs> the old rules are gone now. These are the new ones. So if you're just jumping in, you don't have any of that to deal with. You could just say, okay, these are the rules. I'm going to learn to play the game and hopefully enjoy it. And I, I, I mean, hopefully more people have that mindset. But I think it's great that way. And I think in terms of options, you know, there's always new stuff coming out or there are always updates happening. So there's so, so many options uh, available to new people as well. But I think the main thing is that you're not carrying anything with you and you can just enjoy the game for what it is. All right. Well, with, with that men mentality about the kind of leaving baggage behind with a new edition, when, when I think of games and kind of the life cycle and maturity, you know, the third edition uh, for 40K back in the day was a very solid edition. Lasted <laughs> a while. It, uh, Dungeons and Dragons third edition really, in essence, became you know, the, the gold standard for the D20 rule set with Pathfinder mm -hmm. sprouting off of it. I mean, there there's a history of that that edition. Um, even Magic the Gathering, I think, when it hit third and revised third was was kind of hitting its its sweet spot. What do you guys think as you look at Age of Sigmar about the maturity of the game and kind of as we move into a third edition from a, a if efficiency standpoint of the rules and a you know, locking up some of the ambiguity that may have been there in the, the first two editions of, of Sigmar. Any, any commentary there? I, I mean, it's... This game has come a really long way from where it started on July 4th of 2015 in a four-page rule set in which there were no points. And it was really just this kind of mad free-for-all where you really had to work very hard to understand kind of what a mutually agreed-upon game was going to be. And as much as I genuinely do miss the the silly rules of that original launch, like, you know, if you had a more glorious mustache than, uh, than your opponents, you got, you know, to re-roll hit rolls of one or things like that, it's it's very clear and very apparent that the design team has taken a concerted effort towards trying to find uh, means and methods of improving it. And they have made some big misses uh, periodically throughout, but overall, when you consider it as an aggregate, it has been net positive in terms of I would say the overall experience for for players and the rule set and the expectations in in a game. And you know, I didn't know that so many of those had so many of those systems had their third edition, you know, being maybe argued as their best. And maybe that makes sense because Right, you use the second as the most iterative of the of the two, right? Mm -hmm. Obviously the initial is the design point, 
the second is where you make the boldest changes and then the yeah. third is where you do that final bit of refinement and then maybe past that you're looking to make changes for the sake of making changes right you know mm -hmm. cell book models dice war school right. cards all that fun stuff yeah i i'm i'm optimistic towards it i i think the end of first edition was a really not fun game state i think the end of second edition here is uh, certainly in not fun game states. So I, I'm glad it's arrived when it has. I'm always concerned having been a 40k player for 20 years and seeing to me how that game has changed and how the competitive side has changed. And I, I mean, one of the reasons I think I'm leaving is because of a lot of things I've seen um, in 40k uh, in terms of you know, when new codexes come out every single time a new one comes out, it's just blowing everything away. <laughs> and it's like, wait a minute. And then, you know, two months later, something else comes out and boom, you know, that's the new thing. And um, I, I just, I'm always concerned because we always have migration. And we've talked about that on our show that you have migration between the two systems, between 40K and Sigmar. And most of the things that I've seen come over like command points, that's been a really positive thing, I think. That's in my opinion. I really like that mechanic. I really like it as a game resource. Um, but I'm hoping that there are things that don't come over that maybe or maybe won't, like, you know, board size. I mean, everybody has their own opinions about those things. Uh, but I'm pretty happy with a four by six table, and it's cool. You know, and it, obviously, if the new rules are that we have to do something else, it's fine. You know, we'll play. And as I think we've all commented, we'll put some tape on our old mats and make the playing surface smaller. Uh, <laughs> but I, I just, I think that uh, having changed to Brendan's point for change sake, I think that's where 40K has gotten to in a lot of ways. Um, and I, I'm disappointed in that. And one of the reasons I love Sigmar, I do, is that, you know, when changes come, whether it's, it's a total benefit for you or it's not a benefit for you. They seem to somehow make sense, most of them, not all of them, but they seem to make sense. Um, and when facts, you know, they're very reliable on the Sigmar side of putting facts out so you know when and where to expect something and you can look for it. And once it's out, it is what it is and you can just play the game then again. You, you go back and you make your adjustments and and keep rolling dice. Um, so anyway, that's my comment on that. Well, so, so far, I haven't forced you guys down the, the wild speculation path. Uh, mm -hmm. and, and that's about the change now. Um, oh, boy. What? Oh, what? <laughs> what? And, and I could frame this in a way that it, there's an easy answer, but I'm, I'm not going to. What is one thing that you you are looking forward, like a change that if you were saying, this needs to happen, I want this to happen, what would that change be as you head into the third edition of Age of Sigmar? Like the, the one thing that this is going to have to happen because Dan or Brendan wants it to happen. So Brendan, I'm going to start with you. Speculate away. Oh, the thing that has to happen because I want it to happen. Oh, that's interesting. While while I think about that, I'll do some talking. And I'll say the one thing that I am really pleased that they confirmed is that 
they are trying to make the uh, decision around going first, going second more compelling by, you know, adding more command points to the person who goes second. Mm -hmm. I think that's a, I think that's a really interesting and compelling change because I think the double turn mechanic and the roll off between rounds is such a quintessential and important uh, part of giving Age of Sigmar the feel it has as a game. There, mm -hmm. to my knowledge, there really is no other game where you have to plan for a duality of results uh, simultaneously, and the persons who can master uh, the ability to play multiple results at the same time are the ones who are uh, typically going to be uh, most successful. Brendan, just to interject, I'm sorry, just to interject quickly, I, I have to say that I really love that as well. And I, what I love about it is, is you haven't taken anything away from the person who's going first. You just added something to the person who's going second. So to me, that's a positive thing. Rather than saying, you don't get this now, <laughs> you've all, you said, hey, you get this. It's like, oh, yeah. okay. And it just feels better somehow as a, from a game design perspective. Yeah. So in terms of changes that, uh, a change that I would like to see made strictly for the sake of the way that I like the game to be played is I, I really want uh, the idea of impact hits to be more meaningful. And mm -hmm. if it's, like I like you just I just want like big heavy cav and monsters and stuff that are running into their target to be scarier. Like we saw the previews for the rules for Kragnos today, right? Where multiply. if you're charging into a monster, you multiply the dice together, and that's how many mortal wounds the target takes. Yeah, and unless that value added together is equal to a seven, the oh, goodness gracious, like it's just. It's, it just feels so like wimpy when, you know, some of these units hit and you're like, all right, well, that's D3 mortal wounds. Like, yeah, I've got 40 of these guys. Like you have, yeah. you have nine of those monster machines. Like I, I, I would want to see a kind of base rule mechanic where, uh, impact hits from things where there's maybe like a wound differential or something like that. Uh, just automatically causes that on top of anything that your war scroll would do naturally. All right, bigger impact hits, and Kragnos mm -hmm. proves it. So, I mean, that's coming in AOS 3. I think we've confirmed uh, bigger impact hits in AOS 3 between Brendan and the Kragnos scroll. So that's good. <laughs> Dan, anything? <laughs> I, I'm, I know Brendan will disagree. I, I think he'll disagree strongly with this, but... Um, besides my issues with shooting, which I have always had, more importantly to me is the proliferation and the volume of mortal wounds that can be generated. Because my problem with that is it absolutely positively ruins the game experience for one of the players. If you all of a sudden know that you're going to do 30 mortal wounds on somebody or 25 or whatever it is, the other players just go in, okay. You know, it, it's been great. I really enjoyed meeting you. Like, you feel very helpless and you feel like you're not playing the game anymore. You've been taken out of the game state, as it were. And so I, I just find that troubling in terms of volume because even, and I'm going to refer to the other gaming system, even though mortal wounds are an issue, they're not 
nearly as much of an issue. It's more volume of fire over there. Um, and you could say, well, you know, your guys have a six-up death save, but if you're doing 36 mortals, I'm only saving one-sixth of those. So you're still doing 30 mortal wounds to me. So what's the point of that? You know, who cares if I have an after save? Um, I, I don't know how or why. I don't know why they would even do that. But my concern is uh, the proliferation. And that's just my perspective of um, the ability to generate mortal wounds and how it affects the game and gameplay um, at other places besides the top tables. Uh, sure. and, and making it a positive, you want to make it a positive aspect even when you lose. You always want to have a positive experience. And that makes it more difficult, at least, for a player to have a positive experience. So that's something I'd like to see somehow dealt with, I guess. Okay. And then before I hand it over to the, the rest of the Plan and Slaying crew for any follow-up questions, I'm going to ask one more question. And this is, what is... <laughs> What is the one thing that you will not miss about AOS 2, and why is it one-drop battalions? <laughs> see, uh, see, I'm, I'm not totally sold that, um, and, and this, is, this is where I, I like to bust out my allegedly hat. Allegedly. Uh, allegedly. What, what we know as definitive truth and fact is that core battalions are going to exist. Mm -hmm. That is that is the only, uh, in the words of Donald Rumsfeld, that is the only known known uh, that we have in, in this particular situation around uh, battalions. We have our known unknowns, which is that some change is going to be occurring. We have our unknown knowns, which is what it means to the... Uh, you know, the battalions that are already part of the books. And we have the unknown unknown in that, how that, you know, affects uh, army composition. But it does not make sense to me that you are going to see the total and complete removal of uh, faction-based battalions yeah. in the game. At, because it allows and directs so much of your army-making sure. decisions and... You know, obviously they have done some of that shifting towards the sub-factions, which is cool, and that that's always what the sub-factions felt like. But even if the change remains that uh, by they are just modified core battalions for the books, that's fine. But I don't necessarily know that that's going to preclude the ability to do one-drops, because not every one-drop is created equal. Some of them are great in kind of a team event setting where you know you can build a really weird skew uh, Beast Claw Raider boulder head list. Mm -hmm. mm. But, the, but that list is absolute garbage in the context of a singles event where you know you know that there's the likelihood of two missions that you simply cannot win. Yeah. Just just by being at the table. Um like the the thing that they need to address, and I hope that they do so with the core battalions being excellent, is that you have to be able to have compelling decisions for every army, and then you also get your flavor your flavor aid add uh, to your book in particular. Um, so I guess the thing that I'm going to miss the least, though, to answer the original question instead of going off on a diatribe, is. 
gosh. I I really, really, really am done with the um I don't know what the right way to to put this is. Oh, just say armies... it. we won't make it into a meme. Yeah. It it's these armies that just do one thing. And like so boats. And like cool. Like I feel like every um like there are just these lists that you walk up to and you go, Okay, I don't know you, I don't know your playstyle, but you just kind of navigate your way through this game because you have everything. Um, so edition changes typically shake that up yeah. and they create new monsters. Uh, but I'm, I'm done with the current set of old monsters that we are living with. Well said. Now, I, I know there's a lot of speculation out there and nothing's confirmed yet, but... Brendan, Dan, do do you guys think Dick Dice will be allowed in AOS three? Yes, I I think they'll be required actually. Oh, man. <laughs> encouraged. Oh man. <laughs> yeah. Oh man. I, I'm gonna second Brendan's thing, and we've had discussions he and I before about this. Is that it's just boring. I'm sorry, but even even if whenever I know what's coming, because I've seen in in Bryce there's nothing personal here uh, about you, you know, playing, you know, playing the, your eels and your Sylvaneth or anything, but every Ideneth list that I saw, it was all the same. It was actually all the same. And I'm going, you've got a lot of war scrolls in your book. You've got a lot of different units that you could use. Now I understand it's a competitive event. You want to optimize, you want efficiency, you want to win the bloody games. I get all that, but it's like, there's gotta be, different ways to to build out of a book or a book has to be designed so that you can play successfully in different ways now we're just looking and just seeing the first pieces of soul blight but i think from what i have seen in that book i believe there is a strong ability for you to build multiple lists from that book and be competitive and so i'm hoping from what I've seen, that you're going to see three or four or five, whatever it is, different kinds of soul blight lists rather than, oh, you're playing soul blight, you're going to bring X, Y, and Z. Okay, got it. Um, it, it just, I don't know. It it makes the game less fun when you're you're playing across the table from someone. So that, I, I second Brendan's thing with that, and I won't miss that if that happens. Um, in terms of the battalion piece, I just want to comment that if I'm looking at the battalion that I got for Nighthaunt and Bellacore, I'm looking for the at the four battalions in Soulblight, and I don't see any like change host things. I don't see any other stuff where it just looks like bonkers. It looks thematic. It looks interesting, but I'm encouraged by what I've seen in those two books, and I'm assuming that because they're so close to 3.0 that they are going to be indicative of what we might or might not see when that, you know, that version of the game comes out. So. Okay. I got one more question here uh, for you guys. Obviously with new additions, there comes point changes. What's the, what's the one model 
or unit that you think desperately needs to go up or down in points? God, Bryce. Damn, I only get to pick one. I'll I'll help. <laughs> the ultimate Craig. evil. I'll help. Or upset. Craig knows how many costs. He has to be the cheapest god <laughs> ever made. 300 okay. points. <laughs> 300, 300. I'll give you 305 because that appears to be the new, that works. The new hotness. 305. Okay, sorry, sorry. Dan and Brendan, the question is for you. I'll redirect. I was going to say, I think Marathi should be more. Hmm. I think okay. she should be more points. Um, I, yeah, anyway, that's my, from my experience, I think she should be more Bryce. So. Sure. All right. I I need to see what the changes are in 3.0 before I sit down and say that Nagash is wholesale too many points now with the Soul Blight Gravelord's book. Uh, if it's true that Mystic Shield is going back to its plus one save mechanic <laughs> versus re-rolling save rolls of one, uh, then Nagash is worth every point that you, that you spend on <laughs> him. If not... Someone's got to justify to me where uh, where the other 100 and some odd points are coming from. So that's my that's my point in the pocket. Uh, in terms of things that live the way they are right now, I say that all Star Drake models need to come down in points again. Amen. I, I can get behind <laughs> that. Well done. Thank you. Play to the crowd. <laughs> yeah, for sure. So unless there are any other uh, AOS 3 questions hiding in the wings, I think what we would like to do here is, is and, and this is, you know, this is content creator gold. You take something that somebody else does and you flip it around onto them. So like when we had Dan the Lonely Havoc on, we asked him 20 hobby questions because he does 20 questions for his guests. You two always have a this or that segment uh, near the end of the show. We have each prepared, hopefully, uh, everyone did their homework, uh, this or that question for, for both of you guys. So we're going to kind of rapid fire. I will, um, I will start the fun because, you know, that's what I am. I'm the fun starter. And, and my this or that with a twist, I'll start with one for Brendan. All right. All right. Brendan, if you can play yes. only one D and D character class for the rest of your playing career, which would it be of these three? Okay. Okay. Arian, warlock, or rogue? Oh, this is so easy, Ty. It's barbarian. The like, don't get me wrong. I have enjoyed my other two characters in our other campaigns, uh, but there was just something absolutely magical about the character that was Lactar and just the casino crit machine that, that we built him into. The Grey Death. All right. Dan. Painted. Yes, sir. Now, your question. You're going to only be able to select one of these painting methods or kind of, I guess, styles of painting for the rest of your hobby projects. Mm -hmm. may not use elements of any of the others your mm -hmm. choices are contrast paints dry brushing edge highlighting or using null oil slash agrax earth shade <laughs> that is such a new thing oh my god I... 
That is so Hey man, uh, spinning and dipping is a perfectly valid way to paint. Oh <laughs> I laugh because I just used none oil on my my two <laughs> Mongol guys, and it turned out pretty good actually. But it would be dry brushing for sure. Dry uh, brushing. I, yeah, because I can get edge highlight edge highlighting with dry brushing. I that's what I do, and it <laughs> turns out pretty good. So um, I would say I already do probably eighty percent of my is dry brushing already. Um, so I'd be happy to settle for that for sure. All right. So no more known oil or earth shades, no, no contrast paint no. and no actual edge highlighting. You are only dry brushing from here on out. If this question were, were published into law. Okay. And you are responsible for the quality of my output now, just so you know that. <laughs> Well, uh, just get a set of makeup brushes off Amazon, and uh, you're you're good to go. Um, true. All right, I I will uh, uh, give the rest of my time over to my wonderful co-hosts. I don't know, Bryce, Troy, Josh. When do you guys want to dive in? I got it. I'll start with I'll start with Brendan as well. Brendan, you've you've been known uh, in the time I've known you to to play some characters, whether it was the the Lord of Death or the and uh, the radio host, um, if you could only play one character on the podcast for the rest of your time, what character would you play? Mm-hmm. And you oh, had to stick to that character. Got to stick to that character. And NPR Brendan is definitely the funnier character, but it's uh, really that, hard. That's who really I was voting for. Yeah, I was voting for uh, NPR Brendan. But <laughs> I, I think from a content perspective, we are better served with NPR Brendan. Uh, I understand the degree of difficulty on it is better. Yeah. There is a lot higher, uh, I, but I think it's better for the show. People love it. Yeah, that's, uh, that's great. So the same question kind of goes to Dan, but opposite. Dan, if Brendan uh, could never play a character again on the show, what character <laughs> would you choose? For him not to play? Yes. Oh my god. Well, and I, I introduced a bit of a new character on our most recent show, uh, Man Far Away from the Microphone. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> when, I, when I announced that I was leaving 40K, he literally, he walked away from the microphone and I'm going, what's going on? And he walked about 10 feet away from it and he like went he like he put his hands on his knees and kind of bent over and cindy looked at me and she goes is he gonna throw up like, <laughs> <laughs> like oh my god oh god jeez um, uh, I, I mean i love npr brendan but i know he's also said off you know offline that it's very difficult to maintain that understanding brendan yeah i can under i know how hard that must be um bryce can you give me some choices of like who you think like he's played because i want to know all these different characters right there was there was the 40k no no nothing brendan okay uh there there was there was two different 40k characters of brendan um there's obviously mpr brendan there's Mm -hmm. The the list master Brendan from back mm. when you used to pick a pick a start collecting or whatever and Brendan oh, would build right. a he list. Make a list. Yeah. 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 Uh, I mean, there's there's I feel like there's been a lot of them over the the course of time. I, I think given the context of where we're going, I would say that the 
I don't know anything of 40K, Brendan, would probably be one I wouldn't miss as a creator. That would be fine. <laughs> yeah, that'd be okay. <laughs> and there's, there's a reason that we contracted Troy out as our uh, 40K <laughs> Uh, podcast yes. correspondent. Yes. <laughs> no, but I would always, I mean, what's funny about the know nothing 40K Brendan was that he actually knew stuff like that. He wasn't very, like, I didn't think he was authentic. Like, he would also then drop some, like, like he would drop <laughs> some true to character. Yeah. Well, he would drop like some weird lore that he knew about something or whatever. And I'm like, what? Yeah. Yeah. So, so, yeah. So I think, you're, I think we'll all agree that guy. Yeah. He doesn't need to, he doesn't need to show up anymore. Okay. <laughs> All right. All right. Or Josh. Josh, you want to? Dan, you you kind of ruined mine because I was going to actually ask you. No, no, it's cool. It's cool. I was going to ask you 40K or AOS for the rest of your life, but you've already made that decision. So, (laughs) yes. You've already answered to my question. Yeah. So let's let's, let's, let's flip it a little bit. Uh, How about uh, for, for the rest of your next tournament? Uh, traditional whiskey or scotch? Oh no, it, it will be. It will always be if I have it available in my home. It will always be single malt, always. All right, um, all right. Yeah, always. Um, I, my fallback is black black barrel Jamesons, but if I have it, yeah. So, and cool. Brendan, running oh. running a tournament. Uh, you have to change the rules. Uh, you either remove the double turn for everyone, mm. or everyone has to play the same mission each round. Ooh. Oh, that's a wow. That's a good so, question. So I have such a great love for the double turn. I know. That I, that I would much rather see every tournament round be the same mission. Now, I would have to make sure that knife I pick a mission. Every game. Knife to the heart every round. <laughs> every round, oh. knife to the heart or double turn. <laughs> oh, could you imagine if I put that pack out as, as like the, I'm like, an, I'm like April 1st or something yep. like that. Like, yes. all right, everybody, here's the BCB four pack. Yeah. Um, we're playing knife to the heart every round and and like oh, and there would be probably 25 people that'd be like all right okay yeah when signups uh, please do this oh, oh my god good. yeah i i would have to i would have to make sure i pick up one mission that i find to be tactically most engaging um uh, from because the way i try and set up the the tournament is game one is always just a fun mission you're playing your grudges if you didn't take a grudge you're just kind of playing somebody else in the room right you know you could be totally mismatched on expectations but i want a mission that is capable of being fun for everybody round two i want to throw kind of a bit of a separator mission in there round three i want a fun but more difficult mission round four i want a hard separator and then round five, I, I want just a, you know, by the book kind of nails mission. So I, I'd have to figure out, I'm, I'd probably end up with something that, that would, that would be around the round three category for me. Mm. Knife to the heart. Knife to, to the heart. heart. I can't wait to see that back. <laughs> I think that leaves Troy. For this or that questions. 
All right. So I will now again, Dan messed me up a little bit too. So we will, but it, it was only half of my question for Dan. So, um, okay. and in typical fashion, I will make my this or that questions not be very this or that. Um, that's, that's but, very uh, but the, uh, so Dan, as you, I always, I admire your discipline. Cause I, I guess I had this hunch. I'm like, Dan is always really good about like, all right, I'm done with this game system. I want to move on to the next one. So my original question was going to be, what was going to be the next game system that you swapped out and, and brought something new in? So since you kind of said, all right, 40K is the one I'm swapping out, I'll say, are you going to replace, like, what is the next, you know, is there some other game system or something that you're going to dabble in to maybe fill some of that space? I think I've considered um, building a Necromunda gang and maybe at least having the models available and keeping up with the rules to the point that if somebody asked me to play, I could play. Um, in terms of time commitment and hobby commitment and stuff, I think that's much more a fit for where I want to be going forward. So I would that's the answer to my question. It would probably be Necromunda. Cool. There's a lot of really cool stuff out for Necromunda. Oh. So maybe maybe yeah. they'll get me to I have a bunch of stuff that I never play with, but maybe I they'll mean, get me to all the gangs are getting their own codexes now. Yeah. It's just they're really, really building it out. Very nice. Cool. All right, Brendan. All right. Uh you wanted at one point you kind of said, please give me ridiculous questions. Um so yeah. I had I have one I, I I requested either absurdity or like geopolitics, right? Like give me give me something one or the other. Um so I have one, but it I, I have this very narcissistic question that says, which of my characters is your favorite in all our D D campaigns? But um that's not a real question. I won't make you make okay. you answer that one. <laughs> I mean, I, I really enjoyed our time together on Artillery Island. That was uh uh, that was that was a special that was a special introduction to D and D for me, as you and I were easily the most fragile characters of the party. Stood twenty to thirty feet back of everybody else and just went ranged attack, ranged, ranged attack, attack, ranged attack. And we had that one battle with the Yanti where uh, they had cracked through the front line and yeah. had made access to Artillery Island, and it was not looking. No, good. not no, no, not good. Yeah, that. <laughs> that damn DM. What um but <laughs> what kind of sadist do you play D D with? But my question is in the D D realm and it's almost a this or that. So Brendan, as you've been playing D D for many years, do you ever oh, so see many. yourself being a DM? Yes or no? I mean, we would have to play it earlier in the day, uh, number one. <laughs> I I I, Can I you don't think the DM fell asleep. <laughs> <laughs> well, that's, I guess that's into the session for this time. Yep. Yeah, <laughs> all right. I need you all to roll initiative. We can do whatever. And we then want. there's just snores. <laughs> uh, so, so number one, we would have to play earlier in the day, or like on a weekend or something like that. Um. Because this is this is something I have given thought to because Ty is really generous and always kind of being our uh, our DM for those games and and Bryce started running his own homebrew for a little bit. I I feel like I could, uh, and I don't mean it in any sort of an arrogant sense because I I recognize that there would be a lot of like really uncomfortable spots for me because I'm I'm like a big planner. 
Um, I'm, I'm not a big fan of the unexpected, but you know, this is post COVID Brendan, you know, we're going to kind of go with the flow a little bit more. We're going to try to, um, and I have seen just in our own party, how often we, you know, like if you take a step back from where we were probably headed to where we ended up going and some of that certainly had to be, uh, on, on the fly decision-making. And I think that would be the most difficult part for me. I think I could do it. It would it would take me, you know, quite a bit of time. And it's always difficult to compare yourself to someone like Ty, who's been doing this for so long, right? Because you couldn't just jump in and then and be that good at it. That's not realistic. I think I, I think what it's an interesting discussion. And I've, I've had this, you know, with many people, but the, the more comfortable I've gotten with being a, a DM or running an RPG comes from the more I've gotten comfortable with just winging it with that improv with, you know, taking notes as stuff happens because I'm going to need to come back to it and remember it. But, you know, taking those, those liberties to go off what I had prepared or what the adventure was written as, and just kind of, you know, preparing less like of my own story and reacting more to my player's story. And I, I think that's a really important part. And, and I think that comes with the more you do it. So, you know, you start with something pre-written, you plan, and you just get comfortable with it. But I think that's a good approach to think about it as, you know, it's as, as you go, it's a comfort level. You know, the, the more comfortable you are with the game and the style of your party, the easier it gets to as you go. Yeah, and I would also say, like, don't let the tie factor intimidate anybody, right? Just like the Matt Mercer effect. Like, people are like, my game's never going to be as good as Matt Mercer. Or, no, my name's, game's never going to be good as ties, right? Um, it's like all game, all of them are fun. All of them are fun, right? And just people can di you dive in. There's lots of resources and, like, you know, and tips and tricks and stuff like that. But you're right. You have the right people around. And, you know, if you're a new DM or whatever, you're still going to have a lot of fun. So, so now I'm convinced we need to do a, uh, Cubic shenanigans, plan and slam, one shot, DM'd oh. by Brendan. Oh man! Oh man! That'd be wow. great. Starting oh, at five thirty in the PM. Starting at like three o'clock in the afternoon on a Saturday. <laughs> yeah. There we go. Hey, I'm sorry. Now, up. now we're speaking my language. That'd yeah, be, we. I, I, we can we can give that a shot. <laughs> I'd love From that. this or that to planning a and d session. I love it. All right, Dan. All right, Brendan, you survived this or that with a plan yeah. and slaying twist. Before we conclude this wonderful meeting of the minds, could you please share where can people find you guys, uh, listen to your show, hit you up on social media, go ahead and give us all of your, uh, all of your details. Social media, that's really easy. Go ahead, Brendan. Give them your your Twitter handle. Yes. Yeah, so you can find me at hobby underscore bear. Uh, you can find Dan at Stormcaller Dan, but don't bother. He's not going to answer pretty much ever. Uh, he's not Twitter, really man. on the Twitters. We do have a Twitter page for Cubic Shenanigans where I tweet everything mm -hmm. out, and it's like Cubic Shenana One or something like that. Yeah. Yeah. And because I didn't get to pick the handle for some reason when I created this uh, this page, but whatever and you can find our podcast wherever podcasts are downloaded from so spotify yeah. Yeah. itunes podbean iheart 
Deezer now, or we're just about everywhere. Um, and if for some reason you would like to email the show, it's cubicshenanigans.net and there's a, a contact us or whatever, and you can just drop us an email. And we're also on WordPress. I get a fair amount of comments on WordPress as well. So if you want to look there, uh, you can leave a comment or whatever else you'd like. That'd be wonderful. Nice. And if Excellent. you have complaints, make sure to send them to intern at rageofsigmar.com. Uh, <laughs> those, those emails will be promptly ignored. Yeah. Oh, fantastic. Uh, I can already hear Jacob cursing. It's great. I love it. It's all good. We, we owe Jacob Barry many, many gifts like email to his inbox. Yeah. Well, Dan, Brendan, uh, Cubic Shenanigans, thank you guys for joining us. This was a, a blast to, to finally, after 120-some combined episodes, get the whole cruise uh, together and do this. Yeah, but sure. uh, thank you guys for your time. It was, it was a blast uh, catching up and, and talking with you. Thank you so much for having us on board. It was, it was a really great time. Yeah, thanks, guys. And we're back. Dan and Brendan have gone home and finished their drinks. Um, a lot of fun talking to those guys. Enjoyed it. It was good to, to get them on the show. Hopefully everyone enjoyed that. And then definitely check them out. Cubic Shenanigans. Uh, I think they said pretty much anywhere you can find a podcast, you can find them. Other than that, that's going to do it for us. Thanks for listening tonight. Um, certainly, you know, download, tell your friends, hit us up. Really appreciate. Uh, I did get a couple emails after my desperate desperation plea uh, to send me an email that I never received. So thanks to both Ben and Josh for sending me some emails, making me feel uh, special that I have an email account. But you can hit us up at uh, Ty Josh Troy info intern at basementofdeath.com. Find us on the basementofdeath.com. Hit us up on Twitter at Slant Show, Facebook, wherever you want will definitely participate in some banter and we do love speculation so give us your theories about aos3 that's going to do it for us though any any other closing uh comments or questions or concerns from the the other wonderful people that host this show yeah i think it's good just exciting that we're getting back to actually uh playing in person and we'll actually have an event segment probably coming up in the future since we actually think there'll be events yeah. <laughs> oh, breaking news on that note. Actually, I put my name on the wait list for NashCon. Ooh. So I, I, it's going to be just brutal because I have a, a wedding the weekend before and the weekend after. Uh, but I, I sent David a message and said, I, I, I can't miss out. So do what you can to get my name up that list. <laughs> oh, you'll get up. I'll give you my ticket. I'll be your coach. <laughs> your travel buddy and your your coach all right well bryce and i get ready for nashcon i'm gonna expect the rest of you to keep the dice rolling the drinks on ice and no matter what keep playing and slaying
Um, all I've done is paint Bellacore in the last 40 days. <laughs> um, looking good. Question man. for you guys. What do we want to do before we get started with the, the hobby uh, charity accountability thing? Because our mission was just have a game night, right? Right. My, so my, I think, right? yeah. And, crushed it. and we, tonight we set new goals. Yeah, which is to have another game night. I like that goal. <laughs> and we'll, we'll see how you we guys do. are fucking lazy. We're not lazy. We, this is out here we, painting <laughs> Bellacore to a gold demon standard. <laughs> I'm not doing shit except for playing video games, but you, you two want to just schedule another game night. Hey, we... we we're. I want to just like build on our limited success, like durable, attainable goals. Right. We're not going to go for a moonshot right after we just like. Oh look, I we were able to walk out the front door. Let's go to the moon. I I actually ha I have a goal. If if we want to do like actual hobby goals. Ooh. Oh. Well, now we have to because I want to hear mm -hmm. the goal. Save it. 